Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Happy season opener eve to everyone. By the time you're listening, we will be one day off from the season opener for the Anaheim Ducks. So it's exciting. Felix, Felix, you have a layup today. What's the national what's the holiday for the day? Oh, well, isn't it Indigenous Peoples Day? Is that the Oh. That- I was actually giving you a much easier layup. Isn't it Canadian Thanksgiving? Oh, is it? There you go. Well, that was yesterday. Wasn't it? <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah, know. It was Felix yesterday. is the Canadian one. Yeah, I no, tried. In, incorrect. Let's see. What is today's national holiday? But it is today. Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah, there you go, Jake. I don't it know is why Indigenous you're... Peoples Day, also known as Nations Day. Yeah, there you go. Jake just trying to take this off the train tracks bright and early in this podcast. Um, sorry, sorry. But as you probably heard by now, we also have CJ on the show. So that's that's going to be fun. A full squad, full squad to to tee up the season. So really, what we're going to get into everybody today is the announcement of the Ducks opening night roster. That's what we were waiting for all day. As the days approached leading up to today, it was kind of we could start piecing it together, figuring out who was going to be on the opening night lineup. And now we have our answers. And really, and then after that, we will get into more of a season preview just what our expectations are going to be for the season, different lines. It'll all kind of blend together. So really the biggest news out of this whole announcement for the opening night roster is the fact that Mason McTavish and Benoit Olivier Gru both made the team. So Jake, what was your reaction to that? Um, it, I felt like after the game on Saturday, it made sense. Um, it seems as if, uh, grew had a lot of momentum behind his name, even prior to camp. Um, it seemed like his name was mentioned by a lot of people as a guy to look out for a guy with potential. And it's almost seemed like he was, uh, had pole position to try to get a roster spot. If you were trying to look at some of the kids. And so he had a solid enough camp. I, I mean, I didn't think he had a fan- great training camp until that final game, that final game is when I really finally saw what he could bring to the table with controlling play and doing a great job of that at five on five. And so it makes sense. And I think that that part made sense. And I think that Mason McTavish, as it got deeper and deeper into camp, it started to also make sense that they would want to maybe give him an eight to nine game look and see what he can do. I mean, here's the thing with McTavish is that in comparison to a guy like Gru, and I actually thought that McTavish would make it and Gru wouldn't as the time went on. But the thing with Gru is he can go down to the AHL whenever they want, whereas Mason McTavish cannot. He has to go back to the a- go back to the CHL, um, and that's it. He can't come back up. So it makes sense why the Ducks would want to see what their uh, number three overall pick that probably is an NHL-ready frame can do at the NHL right now and just see what they have. And it's really a win-win situation for Mason McTavish and for the Ducks. They have eight to nine games to see what they have um, in him and can really understand the player that they have in more depth against NHL-level competition. And if he can't cut it, then no big deal. You send him back to junior, he plays the entire year in junior, probably tears it up, um, and, and has that for his kind of development path. If he is able to hang, then you just have him also in the NHL. And not a big deal. And I have a bold take, but I'll let CJ get his thoughts in before I give it. Wow, just just total cliffhanger there. Thank you, thank you for that. That's like uh, at like three o'clock in the afternoon when the news goes, "Is this thing about to kill your children?" More at ten p.m. Um, <laughs> wow. No, it, 
So I'm uh, gonna like you know come in here with the numbers. Now I gotta do the whole. It's preseason. These numbers mean very little generally and small sample size as well. But of the players who played at least three games or more um, in the preseason, um, Bo Grill had the highest expected goals for percentage and the highest Corsi for. Um, so uh, Grill was looking at a 57.89 Corsi for and a 50, uh, or sorry, um, and a 58.24 expected goals for percentage. Um, you know, which is absolutely outstanding numbers. I thought he had, you know, even before the last game where he was particularly good, I thought he was great as well um, uh, for the previous games. Maybe not as noticeable. I think last game mm -hmm. was his most noticeable game. Um, but it was really cool to kind of see him push, and it really seems like he was gunning for that roster spot, and he's been rewarded. Now, as for Mason McTavish, I'm not surprised either at that, specifically just because of the whole junior AHL rules and things that we've already talked about. I thought he looked solid. I wouldn't say that he stood out for the most part in any particular way, but I do think he did earn a spot over some of the other guys. Um, you know, this team we all know is not going to be great going into the season. So it's like, you know what? What the hell? Why not give him that few game look and see what he can do? I think the biggest thing that's important to remember with Mason McTavish is that he didn't look out of place. And we're not yes. expecting him to tear him up. We're not expecting him to be a star. If he can look like he belongs, then for an 18-year-old who just got drafted, that's fantastic. And that's a great baseline. So I agree with you, though, Jake, that I don't see him getting more than the eight or nine games. Um, well, we'll see what happens. He could tear it up. Stranger things have happened. But that's my guess. But I think that for both Gruel and McTavish, these were very well-earned roster spots. Yeah, well, I'm just going to jump in. I didn't. I didn't say that. I didn't think he would get more than eight eight games. I just said that that's that could happen. You said eight or nine game thing. Well, they can. I, I was going they can do that. that. Here, he, he, he here's my bold. Rule. I did. You, you just I said did. the rule. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair. That that that's all I said. And for those that don't know, I'll, I'll get it up right now. The exact rule, but it has to do with the entry level slide. Basically, all it is is that if he plays, I believe ten uh, ten NHL games. Uh, let me confirm that very quickly. Where is it? Yeah. If he plays in a minimum of 10 NHL games, this year counts off his contract. And so the year can no longer slide. So this counts as year one of three. We actually went in depth in this so much last season though, where it doesn't really matter, right? It's not as big of a deal as people make it out to be. Uh, from the Ducks' perspective, the bigger deal was honestly, what was it, the 41 games or however many games it was last year yeah. where it counts as a year of service, an accrued season. That was the the bigger bigger issue, it seemed like, from their perspective with Trevor Zegras. So here's my bold take. Mason McTavish plays about 20-some-odd games, gets to the World Juniors, and then he, they release him for World Juniors, and then he goes back to the CHL after. Interesting. That that is somewhat bold because they have a lot of that, forwards. They have a lot of guys that they need to get ice time for. Yeah, so. that that take was bolder than we were expecting. Like like, no. like it wasn't lukewarm, not, but it wasn't like super hot. It was like right in the ninety degree area. It's not that bold, but it's decently bold. I'll give it it's, a it's seven. bold enough. It, I'll, I'll give it a seven point oh, two. Thanks. I mean, here here's the reason for it. I think that they're gonna want to see get him get him into a stretch of games, see what he can do before sending him back. And I think the issue with the nine game mark is it's just it's not that many games. 
And so it's really hard to fully know what you have. And so I think, I think he's going to play well enough where he's going to warrant getting more games. They're going to want to see him some more. And so that's going to make them want to keep him in the lineup. And then they'll burn the con the year of the contract, send him back before the year of service. Cause as we saw last year, that was, it seemed like the bigger sticking point with Trevor Zegras as I feel like we talked about ad nauseum. Um, and, and then basically they would release him because they were, I, I see no reason to not let him go play in the world juniors, right? If he's going to make the team, which he should, you let him go and play in that tournament to see what it can do for him. And then you send it back to junior after that. Yeah. And keep in mind with McTavish, he had an ankle issue to start camp. So he missed a decent Mm -hmm. chunk of camp. And Dallas Aikens mentioned that, that that's that, that was an issue for them to get a handle on him as a player. Maybe not specifically in those words, but clearly wasn't happy about that. I'm guessing the rest of the team and the organization wasn't, they wanted to see more of him. And I think philosophically for this franchise, this is the way to go that is to let in as many kids as you can see what they have. You have ways of, like you said, for Benoit crew, you can send them down for McTavish. You can keep them around, even exceed the nine games. And it's not really a big deal. And you can at least figure out what you have in him. And you're no worse for wear. It's a season for the ducks where there's not a whole lot at stake outside of really that finding out what you have in these young players. So for me, when I see those two guys make the the team, I I think that that's exactly what they should be doing. Experiment and find out. And Hey, maybe that these guys will stick and they will be good right away. And if they're not, then that's fine. At least you had a chance to look at them as well. Yeah. Yeah, And keep in mind from the perspective of team Canada as well, um, McTavish captained their, I believe their U18 Canada squad last season. So this is a potential captain um, or at least alternate leadership for the world juniors coming up. So you know that they would definitely love to have him from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wonder, speaking of world juniors, this is completely off topic, if they would have Jamie Drysdale go. I, I don't see any reason to do that. He's played in two World Juniors already. I, I don't think they will. Just an interesting thought. But uh, in order to get to this point where they made the team, though, th- this is uh, the interesting uh, part, I think, of all of this. Jacob Larson was put on waivers. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of side big news that, like you said, made all of this possible. And so, look, with Jacob Larson, this is probably, what, a year or two too late, right, with him? Probably. They they kind of yeah. wasted the, a couple of years of Josh Mahura to get to this point, and I think that all like that was all a mistake. Jacob Larson was proving night in and night out that he didn't deserve to be in the lineup with his play, but at the very least, the team has made the correct conclusion now. And so, looking at the lineup for the uh, opening night, you see Greg Patteron and Josh Mahura in there. Now, Greg Patteron. I remember when they signed him over the summer was not especially a guy that I thought was going to make the team. I thought that that was more of an AHL signing, but he has worked his way in and it makes sense. They had so many defensemen who could potentially be on the third pairing, Cody Curran being one of them. And ultimately it seems like the lottery balls landed on Greg Patteron. I think that for their seventh D or I guess for their 60 third third pairing guy, they probably wanted a youngster in Mahura, and then Patron is a bit of a hedge on that, a veteran presence that they can just plug in at any time. So yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, def- lo- looking at the roster now overall, so I guess 
one topic of conversation over the last week has been oh did we just lose cj i think we did i will i'll text him and see where he's at here we go we're, we're good though. <laughs> okay well, you, you and me until he's back okay well let's uh let's just roll on through here so looking at the team now for going into opening oh and cj's back oh you, you don't have to text I, him i i will put him back in Give me one second. Keep going. Keep going. CJ just seamless. Just, just really messing uh, things up this week. My <laughs> okay. bad. This is what happens. I come back in for the first time in a while and I screw everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Some rookie mistakes going on here. Okay. Let's talk about the lines because that's what everybody wants to, to talk about now. Right. Is now we have the players. Mm-hmm. How will they line up come Wednesday night? And I think what's interesting about all of this is that you have three guys to me who are the big losers in in McTavish and, and Bogru making the team. And those three players to me are Nick Delorier, Derek Grant, and Sam Steele. I don't think that, you know, because last year, and really the last couple of years, those have been guys that have been locks to be in the in the lineup night in and night out. And, yeah. I mean, you could argue undeservedly so with Was... the results that they were putting up. So now, with two additional bodies in there, I don't think we're going to see all three at least for the first couple weeks of the season, we're not going to see all three in the lineup every night. It's going to be a rare. No. And and Sam Steele, actually, I think it was it two seasons ago was the only player of that ducks kind of young group that never got sent down. Yeah. Max Jones spent significant time in the AHL, maybe three games in that season. Yeah. 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 Troy Terry got sent down. Max Holmes, all of them got sent down besides Sam Steele. And now Steele is probably the only one out of the lineup. So yeah, I I, I think you're spot on there that uh, those three were locks. I mean, the fourth line, how long was it? Was it Grant and Delorier plus whoever, whether it was Carter Rowney, whether it was mm-hmm. throwing whoever on that on that line? And it wasn't until about the end of last season was when I think one of Delorier and Grant started getting scratched. And now it kind of feels like that's where this is all going. And now, granted, I, I think it it's important to have a healthy bit of not skepticism, but we haven't seen them play a regular season game. Yet. No, so, we, don't, we don't know yet what this will look like, but you would imagine that by they didn't keep Gru and McTavish on the well, team to not play. Especially after the game, and CJ brought this up, the numbers that, that Gru had and just how he played. And, and he how scored, that, and he scored some goals shorthanded, he did. right? That, that's what coaches love to see. But that Jones-Gru-Grant line actually was really, really good. And it, it feels as if that, that, to me, the fact that Gru made this roster the fact that Grant's still here, it really feels like that's going to be the fourth line going into the season. And honestly, as someone who everyone knows, not the biggest Derek Grant fan, it almost feels like Max Jones and Bo grew made him not terrible. And now we need a bigger sample size we of it to make any sort of much bigger sample, a, a much bigger sample size of it. But if that can continue and it can neutralize kind of the negative aspects of Grant's game, and he can just be a penalty killer for this team and be net even at five on five, that's a big plus for this Ducks roster. But I mean, Max Jones at the end of the day, uh, maybe you both will think this is harsh. He's probably a good fourth liner. Like that's probably his his where he's at right now. That that's where he's at. He on a good team, he's a good fourth liner. He doesn't have the and, offense and I to think, play higher, in, you know, to play in a no. top six role. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with that. And I think with Jones too, like we've seen 
that he's actually had like specifically last season he actually had decent uh defensive numbers but especially play driving numbers towards the uh, uh you know kind of going from defense to offense so i feel like that if he doesn't have that offensive upside that maybe a lot of people thought he was that he'd be a perfect fourth liner and this is exactly i think what we talk about when we say look put guys with some level of skill on the fourth line don't make them this gritty crappy skating you know one-dimensional type players at the bottom max jones may not have a ton of offensive upside but he at least brings some skill and he at least brings some positives other than just hitting right and this fourth line i think that we saw in the preseason one of the reasons why they were so successful i'd be ecstatic if this is the fourth line of gruel jones and grant because they're the type of of um of line that's going to be able to kill off some minutes without getting caved in every single night and can chip in a goal here or there. And really that's what you're going to ask for most of your fourth line. This is what all three of us have been wanting for so long. I I don't share your optimism. I need to Mm. speak. Derek Grant has been a black hole at five on five for three years now. I think that's a valid point. One one good preseason game does not make uh, a fourth line career. Um, no. So, yeah, I mean... I'm talking about the line as a whole, not just Grant. I agree with you on Grant. Well, yeah, but Grant is a part of the line, and until he can, you know, until that line can be good for an extended period of time, I just don't really buy it. I just don't. Because Grant is, you know, his mobility is still an issue. He's... I think that the reason why it could work, the case for that line working, is because you've basically taken... 90% 90% of the defensive responsibility out of Derek Grant's hands because he just doesn't have the skating. He doesn't have the mm-hmm. awareness to be a center at the, at the NHL level, at least not how, at least not how Dallas Akins was using him. Maybe the other benefit is that being on a fourth line, he's not going to be using a matchup role, but we don't even know that because we know the way the team views grew. Maybe they're going to feed him to the wolves right away. And this will be the checking energy line. But I I'm very, I'm very skeptical that that will yield great results over time. But we also don't know what Gru is at the NHL level yet. So maybe I'm going to sound like a moron in, in like three weeks. We'll see. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important to note, being a good fourth liner is not necessarily meant to be a negative thing. I think that some people may view no. us saying Max Jones as being a, a good fourth liner as being a knock on him. Maybe well, well, the fact that he was – like it's it's not great for a first-round pick to become that. still but... holding out hope that he's going to be an offensive guy or a guy who can contribute offense, and it's just – Yeah, I, and I think at the end of the day – Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, a late a late first round pick becoming a solid fourth liner is not a bad thing. Like he's no. a solid NHLer. He's like, a roster that, player. That is perfectly that is a perfectly acceptable outcome for a late first round pick. Yeah, exactly. What is it? The chances so, are, is some, something like the chances of a late first rounder, like twentieth pick and later, becoming a regular NHLer is something like less than forty percent. I think I saw something like that. Like yeah. the fact that Max Jones came in here, that's that's a good outcome. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you you guys seem pretty optimistic about that fourth line. I am heavily heavily in wait and see mode, but we'll we'll see oh. how that pans out. Yeah, moving, I'm in the moving, same boat. Moving up to the third line. So right now, I mean, based off of the the preseason lines, it would be Mason McTavish, Isaac Lundestrom, and Jakob Silverberg. Now, that McTavish spot could be where we see um, same with the Jones spot on the fourth line. I think that's where we could see Delorier, and then the McTavish spot could be where Sam Steele comes in, but you know, they, I think that it's more likely that he and Lundestrom or Gru could could swap in and out. I think that he's still going to be a center, based on what we know. But so, 
How do you guys feel about a McTavish Lundestrom Silverberg third line? Um, I, feel I, like, I think it. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, CJ. I feel like it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I th- th- I think that something that we haven't talked about enough is how much there's so many question marks around Silverberg's game uh, post hip surgery, and luckily he had the type of hip surgery that generally has pretty good outcomes. But at the same time. We all know, you know, Ducks fans, I think more than a lot of other teams know what hip injuries will do to a player's career, um, given the whole Ryan Kessler situation. And so to me, Silverberg is a very interesting wild card to see if he can get back to his good level of two-way play. Um, I think that, uh, you know, he's, I actually like the fact that he's on a wing with McTavish. Silverberg is definitely a guy who Bob Murray in the past has just gone on and on and praised about he's the type of player that he wants to set an example for the younger kids. Um, Not necessarily in play style, but in terms of how he prepares the professionalism, the effort that he gives each game. Um, So if Silverberg has some level of health, I feel like him playing on the line with McTavish is going to be very good for his professional development. Um, And I think that uh, with Lundestrom as well, I was, pretty impressed with Lundestrom this, this preseason. Um, I think Lundestrom, uh, you know, at, at this point, I've always kind of considered him a bottom six um, center. And this season he seems primed to be able to establish that. We'll see kind of what happens, but I think he had some good numbers last year and some flashes of, of, of good play. So um, I do like that, um, uh, that line, but especially for McTavish's development playing alongside on the opposite wing for Silverberg. Yeah, I mean, I think with Lundestrom, what we saw in the preseason is that he's he's getting better and better at transitioning the puck up ice, and that's a really yep. important skill in the in the modern game because you need a center to cover low, be able to win a puck battle, and either support the wingers along the wall or be the one to skate it out of the zone and then get it through the neutral zone. And I'm not – I think that all of those things, he can do them very well. I'm not quite as uh, high on what he can do once he gets into the other team's zone. But that's already half the battle is just getting it there. So I guess, Jake, how do you feel about a young Mason McTavish playing on the wing as a rookie on that so, third line? I mean, I think you'd prefer to see him at center. I mean, we said this was yeah. egress last year, but I mean, play him at, at his natural position. Like I get people might say like you want to shelter him, all these different types of things. But it's like this is the perfect opportunity to see what he can have, see what he can do and, and see how he is long term. I mean, we saw it with Zegras last year. I mean. I don't think playing him on wing in the NHL did him any favors whatsoever. No, it seemed like his, it it could have been disastrous, honestly. Yeah. Cause his game, once he went to center and came up, he was an instantly more impactful player as a center as compared to a winger. And so, I mean, we'll, we'll see if that's the same case with Mason McTavish. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. It could be a different player, different situation, things like that. I, I think overall, this line is a decent spot for him to find himself on if they are worried about uh, defensive responsibilities because he's out there with one of the better defensive forwards for the Ducks in uh, Jacob Silverberg. And even last year when he was just poor offensively, he was still good defensively last year. And that kind of bared out in the stats. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Silverberg was still great last year defensively despite the ailments. So I'm assuming that that will probably, I mean, just due to aging, he'll probably be slightly worse this year. But on a third line, well, if, Lund- if if Lundestrom can keep improving even slightly mm-hmm. from where he was last year and Silverberg can stay in the neighborhood of where he was at last year, 
then two thirds of that line is on pretty solid ground. And then yeah, you just you have, could make and then the, if you're if you're Dallas Higgins, you just have to hope that whoever you slotted on the left can hold up their end of the bargain. And I think you could make the argument drive. that you could make the argument that Silverberg will be better this year if he's been playing hurt for the last two years, and that could have caused it. Maybe he's not. He's not going to be pre pre injury. Silverberg, true. So, I, Agreed. I but I think it's, if it's if he's playing way. hurt, if you. Yeah, but I just at least wanted to throw out that possibility. I think it's a good spot for McTavish. I think maybe if you're looking for him to have an offensive impact in the game, maybe this isn't the line for him to be on if that were the case. I would say if you wanted that to see maybe what his shot is, maybe you try putting him with Zegers. But this is a place where he's not going to necessarily be burdened with the defensive responsibility. He's going to have guys that can do that for him um, if that's really what they want to limit in his game. And, I mean, Isaac Lundstrom, you said it, is kind of blossomed into a pretty solid transition center. Maybe doesn't have the skill for the final uh, offensive zone kind of, or the the skill in the offensive zone necessary to create chances. But if he can get the puck to a Mason McTavish and he does have that ability, maybe that's where it comes from. And so, and Lundestrom doesn't have to do that. Right. And and with McTavish though, I will say that it, we got to be careful comparing it to the Zegers situation, because I think McTavish's game seems a bit more suited to play on the wing. Where I don't think that's it'll, fair. That's a good point. Stifle him like a Trevor Zegers who thrives on having open space, who thrives on you know that's being true. able to to manipulate space, and also well, and, and and with with McTavish doesn't really play that way. More of a north north south guy. He does have some playmaking to his game, but I think on the wing it's not gonna it's not gonna hold him back quite as much. You still want to see him playing in his natural position. I agree with you on that note, but it's I don't think it'll be as detrimental. <laughs> and I think and the, one thing I, I want to sorry on, one CJ. one thing I do really want to bring oh whoever. go CJ fight <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. let, let me just Russian, let me just Russian say this roulette. real quick this, go, go Jake, go Jake. yeah this this will be real quick one thing I wanted to bring up is one of the things for McTavish that was actually very important um uh was the fact that he was the second best transition center behind Matty Beniers in this draft yeah and so if you're looking for a line that can potentially push the pace and get up and down offensively and also cover defensively putting him with Lundestrom I think is a really good idea for that specific purpose and if Lundestrom be... can really oh sorry go ahead <laughs> no no go for it well I was just I was gonna say that McTavish can also be the de facto center at times right because the the game isn't perfectly static you're gonna have times where you have one guy who's what they call the F3 who comes low just because of that's how the the play shook out. And then he becomes the one to take on the center responsibility in that scenario. And so McTavish is very well suited to do that. I think, I think that he has the skill set and he has the physical profile to be an NHL player right away. I really do. But it's just how, how do you want to manage that if you're the Ducks? Do you want to get the full squeeze out of the lemon now? Or do you want to put that off for a little while and let the team maybe not be quite as good for one more year. And, and then you, you push every, every chip into the middle of the table. That's, that's, I guess the philosophical question with McTavish, but we don't even know what he'll look like quite yet. I have confidence that he'll be good. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would agree that like, if I were running this team, I would probably want to see McTavish at center as well. But on the other side of things, I completely understand the front office's logic by putting him at wing here for now on. Not just because of the protection issue. Like, yeah, the protection issue is partially at play here so that he doesn't necessarily have as much defensive responsibilities at center. 
Um, to me, it's really about his skill profile and what he brings. He has the physical profile, as Felix said, but to me, one of McTavish's best aspects is his shot. He's got a killer shot. And if he wants to focus on said shot, as an 18-year-old making his debut in the NHL, being on the wing isn't necessarily a bad thing. He doesn't necessarily have to think about other responsibilities. He is a good transition player, but he has a heavy, heavy shot. And if he can get himself into some position and make some good decisions, get find a, and demonstrate to the team that he can get into open ice in order to utilize that shot, because we've seen that over the past few years. There have been several Ducks players Nick Ritchie being one of them who have had good shots, but generally haven't necessarily been put into, um, haven't gotten themselves into open ice or into good positions to be able to use that shot. That's been a big issue, I think, for Anaheim um, over the years. And so having McTavish now, they want to see if he can get into that space to be able to flash that skill. So while, again, I agree that the center situation would be great for him, I do not mind at all him starting on the wing just to see kind of where that is because the Ducks obviously need goal scoring. They need it more than anything else. And McTavish is a potential part of the solution to that goal scoring problem. So let's allow him to kind of focus on his shot, get the puck to him and see what he can do. Yeah. And I think with, with um, McTavish, there's also, and just why he's on the wing there's a little bit of an internal hierarchy, right? Isaac Lindstrom mm-hmm. has been around longer. He's older. He's going to be the one at center. Now you could say, well, why is Gru playing at center? What while Grant isn't, I don't know, but I think, I guess it would be a little odd if McTavish came in and Lindstrom was the one set aside to the wing. Maybe that that's why that's not happening. But in theory, you would think, wouldn't it make more sense for the team to want to see their third overall pick at his natural position immediately like you know you're because you're basically doing it so that you can have Isaac Lundestrom at center Um, I I mean you could but at that point it's like why the rush you know you've got so much time as a new drafted person why not not a rush it's not a rush it's just why not seeing what you have yeah exactly like you drafted him to to be a center like you didn't draft him to be a winger which is fine yeah, but I, I, but but again, I think that they're more concerned about um, seeing what his individual skill set can bring necessarily than the entire. I think they're more concerned with evaluating his skill set at the NHL level more than the entire package that he brings at this point in time. If this was next year, if he was 19, 20 years old and this was happening, then I'd say we've got a big problem here and that the, the Ducks organization is going around the, about this the wrong way. 18-year-old straight out of the draft – I understand. Well, they're also the ones who were touting the fact that he was, that they drafted him to be a center and that he's going to be potentially be that one, two punch with Zegras. So it's just interesting that they're not putting him at center. I think that what it really says is that he's, he might not be around that long. Like that he's just going to get, that he's going to get his feet wet. They care more about just kind of getting him some, some reps and then ultimately slotting someone else on that left side. And Lundestrom and Silverberg are the ones that they're, that they want it. They want to have that third line for now. Um, anyway, I mean, we'll see. It's an interesting conversation to have. I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer necessarily. Um, do you want yeah. to do, do the last two lines and then do our break? Yeah, we, let's these, go. These ahead are going to be it. a little quicker, but there are some there are some things to note. So I I'm of the opinion 
based on what we've heard Dallas Aiken say about his frustrations with the defensive acumen of the Max Contois, Trevor Zegris, Ricard Raquel line, and the fact that they've been lit up in the preseason, him saying that you can't be a team that scores one on the power play and then gives it all back on, you know, at five on five, just he, he really went into them. And I don't think it's a surprise to people who look at numbers because Max Contois, for all his improvements, is still not a great defensive player. And Trevor yep. Zegris isn't quite there yet. And Raquel's kind of, you know, a little, a little line mate dependent, you know, what you're going to get out of him there. Yeah. So it's not a huge surprise. But so I would actually be very shocked if we see Contois and Zegris now on opening night. I think what's likelier is you have a second line of Contois, Getzlaff, Terry, and then a first line of Henrik, or I mean, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call them, Henrik, Zegris, Raquel. Agree or disagree? Yeah, and, and I actually agree. And it's not necessarily that I you... I think it's also ne- maybe the correct decision. Like, if you at least just don't want to be terrible defensively. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to have Zegris and Comtois together, then you need Terry there. Because I think you need Terry there because he's just five solid defensively. Yeah, yeah, five on five, great defensively, can really help push the play, get the puck out of the zone. If you're not going to have Terry there, you're going to have Zegras with Raquel, I don't think having Comtois is a great decision of having them with him. And I think overall... I, I think I'd love to see Comtois with Zegers because I, you want to see that connection be made. You want to see those guys work together. That that could be something that could work for the Ducks for, for years to come. But I think if you're trying to build out a lineup and maybe look at the, the plan for this season, I, I think having Zegers with Raquel is the right decision because yeah. Raquel could score a boatload of points up his trade value as a result of playing with Zegers. And so I think that's the big benefit to having Raquel with Zegers. And so if you're going to do that, Henrik's just a solid player, both offensively and defensively. He's, he's one of the best, I think, Ducks forwards. He's okay. He was he was bad last year defensively. So, okay. Th- I mean, he was. But I think he's still better. He's still better defensively than Contois. So yep. And that's kind of. Yeah, I think yeah. he's solid enough, and especially, I think transitioning to wing actually will help him for that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I yeah. think you're going to see a benefit there. Um, and, and I think both Getzloff and Terry are, are solid defensively. I mean, Getzloff, I think, what was it? I don't have his uh, uh, player card up, but his defensive war t- took a big boost last season. Yep. And yeah. that was one of the best best parts of his game. His offense fell off a bit, but defensively he was great. Troy Terry, like you said, five on five, one of the best uh, one of the best forwards uh, defensively for the Duck and one of the best forwards, honestly, at five on five in terms of uh, pushing play, getting chances. And, and so I think having both of them with Max Comtois is a good decision also. And so... I think this is probably the more optimal usage if you're looking about the uh, long-term plan for the team and trying to up Raquel's trade value while also trying to build a competent lineup. And even Henrik's trade value. <laughs> I mean, True. I know that. True. I know that, that he, that's the point. He's a much more difficult piece to move thanks to the the three total seasons he has left. But having him next to Zegers, who it's funny in the small tiny sample we had of Zegers last year. He wasn't terrible defensively. I mean, 53rd no. percentile in in even strength defense by Jeff by uh, sorry by Patrick Bacon's model. So I think that that I mean that should only be getting better in theory. I know that Zegers still makes some very some very bold decisions with the puck sometimes on the ice, no matter oh, it's, where. It's so much fun. Whether it's, so it's in fun. the defensive zone, I mean, the, I it's think one so of his, much fun wherever it is. <laughs> one of his one of his few plays in the rookie faceoff in arizona he tried pulling off a move in his own defensive zone in the power play and turned it over in the very first game and it's like yeah that's just what he's gonna do he's gonna try stuff and you kind of have to take the good with the bad 
I think if you're Dallas Akins, you have to be very careful not to just muzzle his offense just to make sure he's more responsible. And that will be something to monitor this season as well. But we don't really totally – like that's kind of just my overall feel for this roster right now, or I, I should say the forward group, is we just don't really know yet what some of these key pieces are going to totally be. Um, I think yeah, there's, enough, every- there's enough there, though, where I think they're just going to be fun to watch for – for a good little while and yeah and real quick Getzloff was in the 77th percentile in terms of even strength offense 60th percentile yeah. in even strength defense Ryan Getzloff so, is still good pass it on he was, yeah, he like, was it, better than average last year yeah the only thing that was really dragging him down was on ice finishing and power play yeah <laughs> talk about the ducks talk about the ducks without and, talking about the ducks I think that's the I think that's the key here of what Felix said is that the Ducks, there's like a 95% likelihood, maybe higher, that the Ducks are not going to be a good team this season. I think most of us have already accepted that. The organization has certainly accepted that by openly embracing the rebuild. What I will say is that based on the opening night roster that was there and the potential for some AHL people, namely like Sonny Milano and others who could potentially come up here, that this team, I think it is very likely that this team is going to be a whole hell of a lot more fun to watch this season than it has been in the last couple of seasons. They may not be good, but they're going to be fun. There are some intriguing pieces on the on this team. Um, there's going to be a lot of positive. There's going to be a lot of negatives as well. Um, but I think it's important to go into this season that I think we finally have some optimism that, look, if nothing else, this is going to be an entertaining team. Well, that's the hope. Because if you're that's if you're, the hope anyway. If, yeah. if you're bad and you're not entertaining, uh, that's a bit talk of a about rough. the Ducks last season without talking about the Ducks last season. Do you want to fly through the the blue line real quick, and then we do the break? Uh, no? Let Let's have a word from our sponsor, and then okay. we'll uh, we'll okay. jump into the blue line. So, this podcast is brought to you by Green Chef. So, Green Chef has a meal plan for every healthy lifestyle, whether you're keto, keto. Paleo. I just basically combined keto, keto and paleo. Keto. There we go. New, new, one. new one right there. Plant <laughs> plant power diets, or even if you just want to have delicious but balanced dishes. Green Chef's expert chefs curate every recipe with over 30 meal choices every week. Uh, and the flexibility to switch plans, or with the flexibility to switch plans, you'll never have to sacrifice taste for nutrition. You can enjoy restaurant quality dishes in the comfort of your own home. You can enjoy new and nutritious recipes each week that are perfect for you and the whole family. You can uh, take homemade plant-based meals to the next level with Green Chef's plant-powered options, or you want to watch your carb intake? Their keto and paleo options will give you the premium proteins and vital veggies you need to conquer. And Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit, so you can enjoy hand-picked organic veggies and premium proteins without having to worry about where they came from. So Green Chef is an awesome, awesome product. They've sent us a couple boxes. Um, It's really nice because they give you a meal card for each of them. It's nice and easy. All the uh, portions are nicely uh, uh, made out. It's very easy to tell what to do. And, I mean, here's the biggest thing. Their meals are amazing and delicious. Um, so, for instance, if you go and look at their menu right now, they have, and this is one that I've had, their cheesy pesto burger is really good. It comes with, like, a pesto sauce that is mixed with Parmesan cheese. Really, really delicious. Um, some other things, they've got a cherry barbecue turkey meatloaves, um, Southwest beef patties with provolone, and... These all can be uh, made to fit your lifestyle. I mean, I've gone ahead. I've counted my macros, counted my calories. 
you can make these work and it's great and they're all pre-portioned you get the meal cards to be able to keep with you for a long time i mean any other meals that stick out to you too well so i actually this is kind of a niche one but i'm someone who i mean you you can roll your eyes all you want but i do intermittent fasting and a big part of intermittent fasting is to break your fast have bone broth and the bone broth that i've gotten from green chef actually there was one that was like a chicken broth and it legit just tasted like restaurant quality pho. It was just so good. That kind of lemongrassy, lemony flavor. That was just so delicious. And I actually had the pesto burgers amazing as well. So highly recommend, especially if you're busy or, you know, even if you're, whether you're working from home or at the office, it's just a good option to have. Yeah. And just absolutely tastes fantastic. So you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP125 and use code CTP125 to get $125 off, including free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com slash CTP125, like crash the pond, and like $125. And use code CTP125 to get $125 off, including free shipping. That's the number one meal kit for eating well. By the way, I just want to say that I would trust Felix's recommendation for bone broth with my life. <laughs> the the yes. amount of times he has sent bone broth like pictures yeah. to the group chat. This of is us way too true. Is yeah. is like incredible. So if he yeah. says it's good, it's it's good. Take it from me. I mean, if you like pho, which I'm assuming most people that listen to this podcast probably do. If you just don't imagine, like pho, I don't trust you as a just person. Just imagine drinking straight pho broth, but it's even healthier, fully organic. I mean. I don't know. So, do any better CJ, when you started when you started saying that, and it was about Felix and a food take, I did not know where that was gonna go. <laughs> yeah. I was very terrified. nervous. I <laughs> was very nervous. Uh, Green Chef are a great sponsor of this podcast. I don't want them uh, sullied. Don't worry, CJ. Don't worry. No, no, no. No, no. I actually, on, on, yeah, CJ is correct. I, in in my niches, <laughs> in my niches, I I believe I have great takes, but whatever. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> Dal- Dalton Key says he do- doesn't even know uh, what the pho that is. Haha. <laughs> Haha. Ha. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk well, about. Oh, the- uh, ducks. Our, our good friend Eric saying it's the official bone, bo- bone broth of Miller Lite. It's an old, old, old take. Wow. Do you want to? Do, like, do you want to? Do you want to finally rescind that opinion? <laughs> do you want to finally take back that opinion? I feel like I'm on trial. Do you want to take, I'm asking you, I'm giving, I'm giving you the ability right now. I'm giving you the ability way back when people who don't know, I will not renounce Miller light. I just won't do that. But I will say that I don't drink it hardly ever anymore. You know what? Will you you say that it's being consistent? I respect you for your consistency. So you still believe, you still still believe your take that wait, you still believe your take that Miller light is the best beer. Uh, I don't think I've ever said that. You have one. Check, CJ, check the, back me up here. Tapes. Check the tapes. No comment. I, I, are, I cannot. Am I, are you guys trying to cancel me? Am I, am I about to get John Gruden here? <laughs> hey, I'm trying to remain. Did I resign on the podcast? <laughs> Felix, I oh, just can't wait turn. for you to submit your resignation letter. Like, I didn't mean Oops. to slander Miller Light, and that'll be a deep drive to left field. It'll be a 4 nothing ball game from Nick Castellanos. I don't know if I'll be putting this headset on again. Wait, are the who's winning that game? By the way, what the uh, the Monday Dodgers. Night Football game? No, uh, oh, oh, Giants Dodgers, uh, Giants. <laughs> there we go. This is just taking a trip. So okay. many sports. Okay. Back, yeah. There's, there's. <laughs> is so it really a three-person pod if it doesn't go off the rails at some point? 
True. It's true. already been on and off and and on. And we were on again. for a good period of time. Okay. Well, let's true. let's try to hone back in here. We we don't we're actually already almost 44 45 minutes in. So, I think we're we're making decent progress. So let's talk about the blue line a little bit. Not quite as intriguing at least to me as the forwards. Um just there's less less new faces, less different permutations that are possible, but even still worthy of discussion. Let's talk about the top pair. I guess the the the, the quote unquote top pair, Hampus Lindholm and Jamie Drysdale. Jake, are you surprised that that this is where Jamie Drysdale has landed? At least that's what we um, think based on preseason lines. By the way, this could all change, but yeah. So I mean, I, I yeah, I think this makes sense because this is what they've utilized in the preseason. This also kind of goes in line with some things we saw last season, uh, aka Josh Manson and Cam Fowler being together and constantly being put together by by Dallas Eakins. Also. Should note what Felix, what's the official pronunciation of Dallas of Eakins? So I actually have a theory on why he said Eakins in that video, by the way, nice initiative by Dallas Eakins to uh, give away his, his family tickets during the season. Um, that, that's where that's, there was a video put out by him basically giving out his tickets and Felix, would I, you like to explain real quick I, before I, I, I come to get back on topic? So he, so when he was giving the link, it was slash he said slash Eakins tickets, but I think he said that to make it easier for people to remember how to spell it. I don't actually think that's how he pronounces his last. I'm. Name. I'm. You think Felix he mispronounced his last name? I'm. Yeah. I'm with this Felix is... on this. Yeah. There you go. I had two against one. Overruled. Eakins. Overruled. Eakins. Well, it's it's always been said Eakins by like I was yeah. watching. No, I know, but he said Eakins. He said it. I Jake, legit... sample size. You can't take one sample. <laughs> well, think about, think about why he may have said it that way in that particular context. So anyway. We, I mean, it did just... say oh, on the screen. This is Go, Going back. This is completely I know. Completely. Dallas, Aiken, Dallas Eakins loves Manson and Fowler together. That was where I was going with it in the first place before okay. I sidetracked myself. Oh, man. Um, but <laughs> Lind- <laughs> Lindholm Drysdale makes sense because, honestly, it's because putting two it... of your best defensemen together. And two of two best? of best best two of two of two your of. Best? His I mean, Drysdale, one of the I would say Drysdale go. I think Drysdale's third. What what evidence is be. there to support that claim? Who do you have above him? Hopes and dreams. Uh, I guess you could maybe dreams. you could maybe Very say Shattenkirk. Yeah, I said third. I said third. Uhura, yeah, Shattenkirk fair. Wow! Um, wow! Well, this look, is just um, okay. okay. I, it was it was an off statement that you know I'll I'll take back if you want me to walk it back a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> getting back to the point, Lindholm uh, Drysdale makes sense. It puts your best defenseman in uh, in Amphis Lindholm. I saw you looking at me, Felix, making sure I was going to say the right name there. Yeah. Uh, with with Hampus Lindholm, with the young guy who you want to kind of build him up. His numbers were not great last year. And I think this puts Jamie Drysdale on his right side. They're pro- probably going to get tougher matchups, but I think this puts him in a position to succeed playing with one of the best Ducks defensemen. So I like it a lot. Yeah. Well, I do want to say this. I think this is that something that I, I, I need to address right up front. Like Jamie Drysdale last year, and I've, we've already talked about this plenty of times in the podcast, but I think it bears mentioning that Jimmy Drysdale's numbers last year were were awful. Like they were like league worst defensively. He was in the zeroth percentile in in defensive war. Like breaking news to everybody, that's really bad. And like we've talked about, there are definitely um, confounding factors of why that may have been. 
but the facts are what they are. He was truly, truly awful. And even if you look at his numbers away from Josh Manson last year, he was also still very bad. So weird season, teenager, um, you know, probably in an, in a normal world would not have been on the ducks last year would have been in the OHL. I think that that's probably something we can all agree on, but again, like these are the facts that we're working with. So while I do think that Hampus Lindholm makes sense as his best possible partner, the one who can cover up for his mistakes the most, I do think that by playing with Hampus Lindholm, you're also going to be playing against the tougher Tough matchups. matchups. That's what you do when you have Hampus Lindholm. And to date, to date, Jamie Drysdale has not shown that he's ready for that. And I do worry that the Ducks are putting him in the absolute fastest of tracks, the fast lane, and this may i don't know how much this will benefit him it might in the long run we were talking before the show about you know is is developing in the nhl better and maybe this is a test case for that and in the long run this will benefit him but i think that that pairing could go a couple different ways maybe jamie drysdale takes a step forward this season and hampus Lindholm really shores him up and they form a, a competent first pairing or on the flip side he continues to be more of what he's been last year maybe not quite as bad and they are just a, a liability. I mean, even when we talked about Jamie Drysdale as a prospect when he was before he was drafted, we didn't talk about him as a guaranteed first pairing guy. We talked about him as a guy who has like a lock to be a top four, but how high could he reach in a lineup? And now the Ducks are basically saying, you know what? Screw it. He's a first pairing guy right away. And look, our philosophy that we always talk about is, hey, give guys a chance right away. See what they can do. Well, we're going to find out, is all I'll say. We will find out, and, and it should not take very long either. So, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not I saying Jamie that... Drysdale sucks, by the way. Just I want to make this crystal clear so people don't come after Everyone me. come for Felix. Everyone I come after Felix. I don't think he's bad. I still think that he, he should have. I, I think here's what you should say he has to, a lot of to make people happy. He could he could very easily improve on all those numbers this season. Exactly, without like, a like doubt, he can only go up. Like it, he actually can't get any worse from how bad he was defensively last year. So yes, on the I think on the improve. opposite side of Drysdale is a complete bust that Felix is clearly putting forth here. Um, yeah. I hate Jamie Drysdale. <laughs> you just hate Jamie Drysdale. I no, just, I guess um, I just hate him. Yep. I, I, I think that Felix brings up a great point that like you know I I think most of us believe that he's more than likely going to be a very good defenseman for the Ducks, that he's a potential future number one defenseman. Um, but that said, you can't ignore the numbers he put up last season, which were awful. Now, definitely part of that um, can be explained by playing on his offside along with Josh Manson. Um, but you can't sit here and take a player's results and pin 100% of their results on factors outside of their control. That's not how statistics works. That's not how sports works. Drysdale, frankly, was not good. Um, now, why was this? It could yeah, be that Manson could Yeah, be but the... CJ, he was in the NHL at 18. Isn't that worth, Oh, my know, God. Isn't that the biggest factor we should be talking about here? Shouldn't that, well, shouldn't, that in... just, shouldn't that just allow you to close your eyes to everything else? Look, he just made the team. Ignore everything else. Because, I mean, that's basically the case that you hear for Dry's last year. Well, look, he was in the NHL as a teenager. What part of that don't you understand? Well, it's like, yeah, he, he sure was. That's, a, that's pretty much the only thing you can say. Yeah. Anybody who paid attention last season to us would know that, hey, look, we are capable of nuanced takes. You could say that Jamie Drysdale 
did not have a good season last year, but still think that he's got potential and still think that he could be yeah. something good, right? Like, well, that, it, it, it's it's stating a fact. It, it's stating a, a plain and simple fact of this is what he was last year, and there the data shows that, and that is what it is. Sure, you can come up with reasons for that happening, but as ac- explanation for it, but that doesn't change the fact that the on ice play wasn't good enough, and and so I think the important thing to indicate there is that. As an 18-year-old, and this is, I guess, maybe where you factor that in, there's a whole lot of improvement that can come in his game. Yeah. And, and he's at a that whole lot that... career where he's getting better every year. So, and keep yeah. in mind as well, like we said last year that Jamie Drysdale earned his call-up. None of us had said that he didn't deserve it. Like, he played well enough. He deserved to be there. He could have earned his call-up and had really poor results. Both things can be true. That being said, we've seen flashes of brilliance for him. I just recently reshared one of my tweets of uh, um, the, I believe it was his oh, yeah. first or second goal that he had, where he basically made, he was literally was the great entire offense that entire shift. And so cool. he's shown those flashes and he's at an age where he's 19 years old now. Um, he's going to be uh, alongside a better defensive partner than Josh Manson with Hampus Lindholm. He's another year older. He's had this training. We got a chance to talk to him um, during the uh, the during the, the the rookie camp where he was basically like, "Look, I lo- worked on a lot of this stuff." So I, I still think like none of us are writing him off by any no. sense of the word. What we're saying is that look. He was bad last year, but he still has a ton of potential. Let's see how he does this year. Is he ready for number one defensive duties yet as a 19-year-old? Well, that's what the Ducks I'm skeptical. <laughs> the Ducks may kind of think that. And I, mean, I agree with Felix to that. Like, I'm skeptical of that. I am skeptical of that. But I think that, you know, I... I I'm just really worried that he's being thrown to the wolves again because he, he was thrown to the wolves last season. He's probably going to be thrown to the wolves again here. And depending on kind of how, you know, they end up deploying it. There's I just think so, I, so, so, so I, I think one thing I want to add here, cause yes, I, I think being thrown to the wolves is a fair statement depending on where the matchups go, because that's the key aspect here. The one thing that we're forgetting here is he's going to be playing with Hampus Lentholm. And that is that something that actually is going to be – that will be very useful for him. And I think that that is something that's kind of being lost in this conversation when we're specifically talking about they Jamie Drysdale. It's not purely – yeah, it's not a pure throwing him to the wolves when you're throwing him in with your best defenseman. What, exactly. One of the better defensive uh, defensemen Defense, in the league. In the league, yeah. So it, I guess that maybe that was a little unfair. I, I will retract that partially. They're throwing yeah. him to what's, – yeah. what's, what's not as bad as a wolf? The Coyotes? The mountain lions. It, not, not it quite better be the coyotes. Given Felix's they, personal, they're throwing him to the dangerous? bears, and and he's with a wolf. <laughs> What's more dangerous? Okay, there we go. There we go. I like that. that you almost have the advantage in that scenario, though, wouldn't you? Maybe you would then. A a wolf, okay, it's possible. The analogy no longer holds. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work our way down the other two pairings. So Fowler Manson. I'm just eh on this pairing. I mean, Fowler's been consistently solid the last couple of years. Josh Manson is not. Josh Manson has also not been consistently healthy the last couple of years. And I mean, was not healthy through this training camp. He's going to, I think he should be able to play to start the season. But what do you, either of you have, you know, a strong opinion either way on, on this pairing? I would, I would agree with you. I'm just kind of whatever on this pairing might. My hope is that 
you know, Cam Fowler, I would actually say Cam Fowler the last couple of seasons when he hasn't been injured has actually been better than average. I would consider, you know, him maybe in the top, you know, f- between 30 and 40% of defensemen in the NHL. He's, he's um, been the Ducks' best defenseman because if you factor in the fact that Lindholm hasn't been healthy. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. 100% yep. agreed. And and the, the big thing for me is that I would hope that Fowler keeps that play up and hopefully maybe brings Manson up along with him because with the Ducks being in full rebuild mode, now obviously there's still some skepticism. We will see what moves Murray makes, but Manson is going into a contract year. He's going into a free agent year, and we all know how much the Ducks love Manson, but it is a different look to the not only the coaching staff, but also the front office with Jeff Solomon in the mix now, and presumably with the build-out of an analytics team. And you have to wonder, you know, if the Ducks are really going to seriously consider Josh Manson, having him alongside Cam Fowler, who has been the Ducks' best defenseman of the past couple of years, my hope is that he can at least play himself up a little bit for his value there. Yeah, I mean, that is, I think that long long play, that's probably the hope. But will the Ducks trade Josh Manson this season? I mean... Who knows? I have is, no is idea. That, yeah. And then to the third pairing. So this is where things get... I think slightly more interesting. So right now you have, I guess, Kevin Shattenkirk is going to slot in there with whoever is going to be the other, yeah. the six defensemen that night. I don't really see them scratching Shattenkirk. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be in that rotation. So it's between Mahura and Patteron for the uh, sixth spot. And I think that this is a long time coming for Josh Mahura. I know that last season, some people were a little more down on him. He admittedly was not I don't think he was as good as he has been in previous call-ups but the potential has always been there he has some decent mobility I'm not going to call him a great skater but I think he's he's mobile enough and he's got a really good he's got a really good hockey mind he's a smart passer he's got some hands he's good Mm -hmm. at shifting four checkers around when he has the puck to create lanes and and break the puck out I think he has that ability to be a solid third pairing defenseman and I do think Contrary to popular belief, I think that him and Kevin Shattenkirk could be a good third pairing. Yeah, because I, I think that Agreed. that's probably that's probably where both of them should be at the respective stages of their well at, at this stage in their respective careers. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk probably shouldn't yeah. be much further up the lineup, and Josh Mahara, until further notice, is a third pairing defenseman. So I think it kind of works. And Greg Patteron, look, I don't have strong Greg Patteron takes. I'll just say that. When Mahura has a turnover or Aikens just wants to put him in the doghouse, well, then you've got Greg Patteron that you can go to. But I am curious to see how that will work. By the way, Kevin Shattenkirk's numbers in this preseason, I don't know if either of you have looked. Oh, they're uh, bad. They're they're really, really bad. Yeah. I think one, yeah. if you want to make the case for why maybe they're not, you shouldn't read too much into them. He did play the majority of his minutes with Simon Benoit, who didn't make the team. And, you know, his if you look at his just like, for example, shot attempt shares, Corsi four percentage, he goes from thirty three point nine percent with Simon Benoit, which is like think of that in the reverse. If you're not as familiar with analytics, like that means roughly the other team has roughly 70 percent of the on ice shot yeah. attempts. It's not those good two out there. Yeah. Now, Shattenkirk without Benoit jumps up to almost forty five percent. So still not great, but much closer. Yeah, it's, it's preseason. It's. It's preseason. It's tough to fully read into but all the numbers. I think that, and I that, th- that confirmed a lot of people's priors on Kevin. Shattenkirk. Yes. Yeah. Be, because that wasn't how he was last year. 
I, I mean, his exactly. num- the numbers don't bear out that he was a poor defenseman. Sure, he had some poor penalty decisions. Sure, he, he there were some turnovers that caused mistakes. His mis- yeah. mistakes that he but the o- make were very glaring. The mistakes actually- stood out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but overall, five on five, taking everything into account, he was good. He was fine. He was good. And so I think Mahura and Shattenkirk will be an interesting pairing because I think that um, Mahura in a low pressure situation, he makes a really good first pass. Um, and I think it's better down low than he probably gets credit for. And so that could be honestly one of the better transition pairs for the Ducks. Maybe they're not the the pair that gets up into the rush, but they're the pair that breaks it out quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you exactly. know, I, I'm going to kind of disagree with you there, Jake, that I've always seen. I've, I think that, so number one, Shattenkirk isn't necessarily a defenseman's defenseman. We know this. If anything, he's a little more offense first, and that's been the case for most of his career. But for me, one of my one of the things that I think Josh Mahura does the best is him jumping up into the play. He is always looking to go to the net. So, and that's actually a good transition of what I was going to bring up is that if you've got two guys who probably lean more offensive than necessarily stay at home or maybe defensively responsible, what is that going to look like? If you've got the two of them there, it's going to be fun hockey. Oh, it's going to be hella fun. I am so stoked to watch them like jump in. And then for them to turn over the puck and give up a scoring chance going the other way. We're probably going to see that a lot from that pairing, assuming they get more than a few games together. So we'll have to see. But they're like, especially Josh Mahura, he is a guy who is always looking for chances to activate. Um, And so that is something that I think I'm going to really be looking for when he's on the ice. If that pairing pairing actually lasts, I will be shocked. There's no way Aikens (laughs) is going to like be able to handle the stress. No, and, and, and one thing I want to mention on Shattenkirk is sure he gave up uh, a decent amount of goals against. He also gave up a decent amount of expected goals against, but he made up for that by being one of the best for, uh, Ducks defensemen at driving expected goals for and goals for and, and just kind of everything that goes along with that. So sure, he had glaring mistakes that led to goals against, but it kind of you, you took that with the uh, yeah. the thought that he also was out there generating offense, which for a team that struggled mightily to generate offense, I'll take a guy that does that over slow, boring hockey. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, if the Ducks actually stick with that third pairing, it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to watch. Like, I think so far, if I had to grade the moves that they've made so far, the one, I think that there's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a hodgepodge, but some of the big pluses I will give them. Finally, biting the bullet on Jacob Larson. That was a long time coming, right? And they finally did it. And there was, they kind of got forced into that a little bit with Josh Mahura now not being waiver exempt, but even still like they, they made that call. So we will give them that credit. I think that sending down Sonny Milano is a little surprising when you consider some of the other guys who remain on the roster. That's something we haven't really talked about. Well, there's just not a whole lot to say. I mean, he played, he played well. He played well in the preseason. I think he played well enough to be on the team. I think that the team probably re- was just not going to move off of a guy like Grant or Delorier, and they were not willing to put Sam Steele on waivers for however many reasons. And they also wanted to see Bo Grew and Mason McTavish uh, on this team. And I think if you kind of boil all of that together, it's probably closer to being the right call because ultimately Grew and McTavish the team has invested more in them and what they can be for the future. They, you know, they're, they're higher draft picks, especially McTavish. 
So they want to see what they have in those guys. And at some point, if McDavish goes back to junior or if Bogru gets sent back down, I would assume that Milano will be back up. So I, I don't see mm-hmm. it as a huge deal. I still think just logically Milano would be the guy that I would have gone with. He makes more sense. I mean, if nothing else, you can just get him to produce a bit, get, get him on the power play and maybe trade him, flip him for futures. Who knows, right? But I think overall, the way that the Ducks have treated this preseason, the the moves that they have made, the the roster decisions that they have made, I think I think it's an encouraging start. It, it, there's no, you know, if you noticed everybody listening, the way we've talked so far, you know, last year and the you know the last couple of years, there's always been a head scratcher. There's always been something that we've really lamented over, and this time that just hasn't been the case. It's all been mostly fine moves. Tell me I'm wrong. Somebody, please tell me I'm wrong about this. Am, am I tell, coming home? You're wrong, is this, Felix. Is, is this a I'm homer? only saying that because you asked me to. <laughs> is am I being a homer here by saying the Ducks are making correct moves? I no, know. no. You are? I, I, I think we've I think we've all been other than maybe the lack of trades and stuff like that. Well, I think that Yeah. Th- that's the biggest thing. But otherwise, outside of that, I feel like the Ducks like they had a killer draft. We all love their draft. They had some other moves that were, you know, pretty good for the like for the most part, this has been a solid offseason. I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Like the Ducks not having signed anyone of consequence is the right decision right now. There's no yep. reason to add Correct. anyone to this team that is a UFA because as we've talked about, the UFA market is god awful. Um and, and you typically end up regretting those deals always two to three years down the line. It's very rare for you to sign a UFA and be fine with that deal every year that you've signed them for. I yeah. mean, God, even look even look at Derek Grant. Derek Grant signing a three-year deal. That was an awful decision basically right away. But regardless, um, <laughs> and, 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 I also and, feel like this management group might be on pause for stuff like that right now. From, from Yeah, and I think I think another part of it is we've har- harped on the fact that they should have moved guys like Raquel last uh, deadline. And I, I think that they would have gotten the most value for him, the most value for Manson. I will say this. If you're at Lindholm. the point where they – what? Don't forget Lindholm. He's a and Lindholm, yeah. true, true. Add Lindholm to that mix, but Lindholm was hurt last year. They weren't going to train him at the deadline. Yeah, I don't think he would have gotten much because he had that wrist injury. Sure. Uh, but bringing it back to to this is that there is something to be said for at this point in time letting them start the season on the team to almost build up their value. Because if a month goes by and Ricard Raquel is killing it with Trevor Zegras, that increases his trade value. Hampus Lindholm. Big thing there is showing that he's healthy after missing a lot of last year. Same thing with Josh Manson. And and both those things increase their trade values. So I would have preferred to move them potentially at the draft when a team may have overpaid. Or if they could have moved them last uh, deadline where a team could have gotten two, um, two uh, playoff runs with them. But at this point in time right now, not doing anything is smarter than moving them at this current moment. As in letting them build up their trade value for a month or so. Or until Josh Manson inevitably gets injured. That Oops. too. Oops. Um, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I I, think that they are doing this correctly. I will ask both of you. We'll start with CJ. Do you think, because, so I guess just one little additional note, how I grade the season for the Ducks isn't so much on what we all just talked about with the, the night overnight lineup decisions. That is part of it. It's just more so what they're going to do with those bigger pieces that that Jake just mentioned, the Mansons, Lynn Holmes, Raquel's. So I will be grading them on that and what they do there. That's really what's going to more so decide the future of this team. So I'll start with CJ. Of those three that I just mentioned, 
and you could include Henrique in there. You could include, um, I don't think Solberg's a new trade. Never mind. But do you think any of those guys get moved by season's end? How many of those guys are on the team by the time the season's over? I think given what we have heard from the front office so far this offseason, I think at least one of those guys is gone by the time the trade deadline hits. Wow. Vanilla, it's vanilla just, take. It's, it's a very vanilla take, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the, this management group has not shown that they will execute on moves that need, you know, at least in our opinion, should be made. And even going back to when Bob Murray took over as general manager in 2009, he the biggest move he's made is Ryan Kessler, which is frankly, that's a pretty significant move, but that was also uh, teed up for him, right? Really quick, want to jump in here because I think it's important to somewhat note the entire history of Bob Murray's tenure. It's funny, the first year that he was the GM, he sold at the deadline. Yeah. He sold Sammy Paulson. He Did, sold Travis Moen. He sold, uh, uh, was he the one who else? Pronger? Yeah, he traded Pronger away, but that was not yeah. a deadline. That was a draft situation. He sold. Like, he's, like they needed to yeah. move money out. And, and so, yeah, he sold, I think, Sammy Paulson. I forget what he got for him. He traded away uh, Moen to San Jose and got Benito and Timo Pielmeyer. Um, he made another move that I can't really remember uh, that moved out a player. So it, it's funny because thinking back to that, he's sold guys before. But it's interesting to think about none of those guys were quote unquote, even though he was the assistant GM, they weren't his guys. He didn't draft them. Yeah. He wasn't the GM that brought them in. And so I think that's maybe one distinction to be made. Now, is anything else? Cause I got something else to say on, on all this. Yeah. CJ. So, so let me finish here. Dan, like good point. I know, but also Dan, I know, dude. I know. <laughs> um, no, I, so I, it's just other than that context, which is good context. There are, he really hasn't made that many much in the way of actual impactful big moves and, you know, trading Manson, trading Henrique, trading um, uh, Raquel, you know, all, all these guys, those would be pretty significant impactful moves. And we can argue over whether, you know, you want to make them or should make them or not, but there hasn't been a history of them executing and wanting to go ahead. And, you know, we're now what year three, four of this rebuild. And we have all these players from the last playoff run who are still on the team. So while I do see the winds changing because we haven't heard this language of rebuild and embracing and, and, and with some of the decisions that they've been making, we haven't seen this from them yet. And I think they point to a very good direction. We still don't have the history to be able to go off to think that, like, yes, they are definitely going to execute. They are, they are definitely going to make these moves. So while I think that at least one of them will go, I agree with Felix that I'm going to be waiting and I'm going to have a little bit of skepticism, but I am going to come in with a little bit more hopefulness than in recent years that they are going to get rid of multiple guys and get some good future assets for them. Yeah. Okay. So here were the trades. If you're curious, these are the the notable ones from that '09 deadline. Uh, Steve Montador traded out for Pateri Nokalainen, so traded an older guy for a prospect that became nothing. Uh, Sammy Paulson and Logan Stevenson for James Wisniewski and Petri, uh, Petri Contiola. So traded out uh, an older guy and got a young James Wisniewski in. Uh, uh, Travis Moan and Kent Huskins for Nick Benino and Timo Pielmeyer might be the best one. There's obviously this was in February, but there was Kunitz and Tangrady for Whitney, which turned out horrible. Oof, oof. 
Yeah. Although Whitney eventually became Vishnovsky, which makes it more salvageable. Yeah. Well, so Jake, but still, do you, do you think? Um, do you think any of these guys get traded? Yeah, I think three of the four. I think wow. Henrique's the only only one left standing. You think that? Wow. I like this. Damn. This is what I'm here for. So Lynn here's Holmes, here's the reason. Lynn, wow, I, I, you I just say screw you, CJ. That would have been easier. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I think that I actually don't think I agree with that. But I so here here's the reason. Here's the reason. More interesting. Yeah, that's partially why I did. But here here's the reason. Sometimes you don't always believe everything everything you say on a podcast, but you do it oh, for cool. the interesting conversation. But I here's here's where I'm going with it though. I think Bob Murray understands the situation that he's in. And I think that he understands that if these guys are not signed come the deadline, they have to be moved. Yeah. There, there's no way around it. And even if you think that you have a chance at re-signing them, you have to move them or else it's legit. If they, if Hampus Lindholm walks on July 1st or whenever it is this year, cause it's not July one. If he walks and doesn't sign a new contract, they don't trade him. They don't get anything back. That is something that could actually really be detrimental to this franchise well, long term. It's just a it's an it's a lost opportunity. It's an inexcusable yep. failure. If, yeah, if and, and so and, and I really don't think Hampus Lindholm is going to sign an extension midseason. It doesn't sound like from his I, quotes. I think he wants to. I think he wants to see what he can get, which is yeah, completely and, reasonable. And, he wants to test the free agent no, market. Yeah, yeah, which which is very valid for him to want to do. And I think as a Ducks yeah, franchise, you have to look at that. Off season with defensemen, you have to look at that and say, okay, well, we need to move him then because if he's yeah. going to test the market, we like we're, we're not the Toronto Maple Leafs where we can say, okay, we lose this guy, then we have a certain amount of free cap space now that we can use to to bring guys in. Losing Hampus Lindholm and freeing up that cap space, the Ducks have 15 million cap space right now. The cap space isn't the issue as of right now, and, and they need, so they need it, something it, tangible. For Lindholm, yeah, correct. So I and I think that same thing's going to happen with all three of them. I think the only one that I think that I could see re-signing, honestly, and I could see the Ducks re-signing, and I could see him signing here still, is Josh Manson, and that's probably the one I least likely or I would think, least want to see. Sign I think he is the least trade value of the three. Of, no, of, of no. Nah. I, I think he still yeah. has value. I th- no, no. I, I, I said I said no. He, he has least. value. He I is think, the least I think, of Hampus, Raquel, and you don't you think he you think Lenholm. he Manson has the least value though? easy. I think yeah, I think of he has more value guys. than Raquel. Huh? I mean, that's a hot take. Right hand yeah, shot think, defenseman, big plays a physical game. Yeah. You could see a GM paying a, a, an arm and a leg for him. He's also always hurt. Like, like agreed, that. but this is the NHL we're talking about, and the NHL general managers. I'm not talking you or me right here. I'm talking I, about NHL GMs. This is putting also yourself the NHL in their where shoe. everybody is risk versus hell. And Josh Look Manson at, carries you, some injury risk. You you don't think you don't think Ken Holland? The Oilers are in a playoff mix. They have a need at right hand okay. shot defenseman. Okay, the dumbest. That's GM almost in unfair that you bring up Ken Holland. <laughs> hey, but this, this is, is this a is very Ken valid statement. This is hey, Ken so Holland who still thinks Duncan Keith is a good defenseman, so I get happen. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, they happen with UFAs. I could see Ken Holland paying an arm and a leg for him. This okay. this is a guy, and so th- there are plenty of general managers like that. I use Ken Holland. Obviously, he's the easiest one to talk about because it makes the most sense because he'll definitely do that, but there are plenty of GMs that would do that. Look at how much guys are willing to pay for right-hand shot big defensemen. Sure. Like, it, it, he, I think he gets paid, He would get the team more than, than Ricard Raquel. 
and here's the caveat, unless Raquel goes off, which he could. Yeah, I think I do agree with the idea that Raquel is more production dependent. I mean, because all Manson really has at this point is his reputation. Like, if, if you actually look at what he's bringing in night in and night out on the ice, it's actually not that encouraging. Um, okay, so, yeah, I guess just to round this out. So, CJ said at least one is gone. Jake said all three. I will go two out of three. I think that pick one of the defensemen and Raquel. I think I think one of the re- the defensemen will resign, and I think I, that's I, fair. I think they should all be gone. I mean, that's what I would do. I think that doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense. But hey, you know, Hampus Lindholm is joining the rush now more. He's he's joining the offense more as we've been as has been beaten into our. Do heads wait, wait. Actually, here's a question. Through. Wait, here's a question. Here's here's an actual legit question. I had not thought about until right now. Mm-hmm. Hampus Lindholm has been getting more power play time this year than I think I've ever seen him in the past. Oh, no, don't. Do you think they're trying no. to boost his trade value? They've been putting him on the power play for years. No, they yeah, have not. No, they have worked. not. Yes, they, they have. have. They... Last, last season, he was getting a lot of power play time before he went yeah. down. They've, they, they've been, well, I, I mean, don't okay. think this is a trade thing. Maybe it him. is true yeah. that they are just talking about how great his shot looks, how much he's joining the, the, the rush to pump up his trade value. I think it could also be that they just have this notion of Hampus Lindholm as a guy who could be a, a power play contributor. Personally, if I was running the Stucks power play, I would have five forwards out there. I don't think that outside of maybe Cam Fowler, there's a defenseman that I would really want out there. Maybe Cam Five, Shatter. give me all forward power plays. I'm, I'll go. Yes. I'll go. Shatter. Nah. So go. I'll he. Go uh, so no. Don't, don't don't back out now. Go full. <laughs> Okay, five but five forwards. Play. Well, five forwards would be their most optimal unit. Because even though I I like Shattenkirk out there, I still think that their best unit would have five forwards. I would rather yeah, have Getzlaff at the point than Shattenkirk. So, because I mean, you saw when Getzlaff and Zegers were both out there on the power play during the preseason, like that puck is just slicing through the penalty kill, and I don't think that that's going to go away. But I think that they're going to build their units maybe with those I, two separate, which is a so. I guess he was getting second unit power play time. Yes, he absolutely was. Like this, <laughs> um, he, he was, was averaging about a minute forty eight per game played, which is a lot for for a guy who yeah. really has no business out there. I mean, all due no. respect, but Hampus Lindholm. So fair enough, fair enough, is, fair enough. He's a great defensive defenseman. Does not have the the skill set to be a power play guy. You know I mean, what? Sure, I was trying to come up with. I was trying to come up with a fun point. You all had to poo poo on it. It's fine. I get it. <laughs> um, so, and then the other thing I didn't want to say, or that I did want to bring up. So, we haven't talked about the goalies yet. So, Anthony Stolarz is your backup. John Gibson is the starter. Um, there was maybe some talk that Lucas Dostal could impress in camp and be the backup. That has clearly not happened. And I think that that's, you know, I wonder what the Ducks are going to do with with Anthony Stolarz. Um, I mean, I know that they he's he's signed through next year, but I mean, is he do you just keep him around for the next two years as a backup to Gibson? Or at some point, if he's playing really well, do you trade him um, and then give give Dostal the jump? Anyway, it's something more future to think about. I will say this, though. Gibson's comments today in the Orange County Register about how he's looking forward to another heavy workload and that when he's you know, playing a lot of games makes him feel more comfortable, makes him feel more uh, in a rhythm, and that he's, he's prepared to go and and play a bunch of games again i think that that's completely the opposite of what i mean of what we should be hearing because john gibson 
what the Ducks should be trying to do is limiting the amount of games that he's starting to get the most out of him so that he can be the best version of himself so that he doesn't burn out like he has the last couple of years. And I think Anthony Stolarz is capable of doing that. Um, and so, look, maybe it's just Gibson saying what's on his mind um, and maybe that's not what will actually happen. But I just logically would think that if the organization wanted to get it to the point where this that split is a little more even and that they had those conversations with him and that they really wanted to get it to that point, would we be hearing John Gibson being so, you know, forceful about how much he wants to play? I, I, I feel like it's less likely in that situation. Well, and, and, I think... And Dallas Hickens has even said last year, you know, try telling him to play less. So, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like they're trying, but maybe I'm com- completely wrong about that. So I, I think something that we're not really talking about here is the development of Lucas Dostal. Um, I think that how he performs in San Diego for the first half of this year is going to go a long way in determining the Ducks' uh, future goalie situation, especially headed into next year. Because if it's true that um, uh, John Hoven of the uh, 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 you know the mayor John Hoven reported that the Ducks offered Gibson in in Eichel deal, um, you know I, I I think we have actually discussed the potential value of trading Gibson with the rise of Lucas Dostal, and I. I I don't necessarily think Dostal's ready quite yet, but at every step that Dostal has taken, he has excelled. And he got time in San Diego last season. He was he was great in San Diego last year. If he comes up and he is killing it in San Diego, then you get to the trade deadline. And at what point do you really start to seriously consider Gibson? Now, really, realistically, Gibson has a lot of years left on his contract. You should get good value out of him. You don't just trade him for like a second and a third. Um, it, it, it kind of depends on the goalie market this season, but that, that's the big question there. That's the, the big yeah, question. I, I, I think I, I agree that the goalie market, is, the goalie market some years is really hot and some years there's just not much of a market. It depends. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. But if Dostal performs well, then you could potentially see Stolars, you know, maybe even take over the starting spot for the rest of the season if they decide that there's a good deal for Gibson on the table there. Um, but regardless, I think that having Stolars is good. Like he's not a starter by any stretch of the imagination, but even if he has to take over starters for a rebuilding team that's out of it by the trade deadline, I'm not going to have an issue with that whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here, so we'll here, see. here, Here's where I'm at with this. It's kind of a thought process I've been having a little bit more of late. I, what it comes down to with John Gibson is where is the trade market at? Where is the trade value at? Because I, I just honestly don't know. Like it, It's so difficult to understand where the goalie market's at because, as you said, it could go all over the place. It generally always feels lower than it should be, and that always makes me a bit cautious. But the one thing I will say is you could always move Gibson, and as we saw this past offseason, it's not that hard to kind of find a goalie, right? Colorado was able to do that and get Darcy Kemper. There, there's always goalies out there that you can find. There, there's plenty of them out there that you can you can plug in and not have to deal with like what Arizona's doing or or Buffalo's doing. They're doing that to basically be bad with their goaltending. But there, there's people out there that you can find that that will do a solid enough job for you. And so if you want to go that route, there's someone that you can go and get in the offseason that could help fill the role, take take time off of Dostal's hands. Um, I, I think the, it has to be the right trade though. And I think that's the key aspect here is 
it, it, I don't think you move Gibson in the same way as a Lindholm, Raquel, those types of guys. We're just moving him for futures. I think it has to be moving him for something tangible that helps you long-term, whether that is like an Eichel trade, whether it is who knows what else it is. An Eichel trade would make the most sense to me because it's getting someone that helps you long-term, but it's a difficult situation because what do you do in goal? And I mean, like I said, you can find someone and, and you'll probably be fine, but you're getting Eichel to be good, to be good soon. Yeah. And so, by the way, I, mean, I love that I, we're getting some Salem, uh, uh, meows meowing, in the background some here. heavy meowing. Yes. In the back. Yes. Well, that's well, what that, I deal that, with. That's the beauty um, well, of an Eichel trade though, is that you can be good now or later or both. Yeah. And well, yeah. I mean, here's the benefit of the Eichel trade for the ducks right now. <laughs> they are the perfect team for it. There's nobody else that's in that is wants to be bad this year from all reports. The Duck, mm-hmm. it, it it seems as if from the Pierre LeBrun report well, you that got it's Minnesota, the Ducks and the Flames, Vegas. Well, the oh. Minnesota, I guess, is not ne- is not really in it anymore because of how their cap is working out with signing Kaprizov, uh-huh. and, yeah. and where that's at. So they're not really in it. It's down to Calgary and the Ducks, is what it sounds like. And with Calgary, they're trying to be good this year, and so that's willing to move. the Ducks. It, yeah. Yeah, like the Ducks, you're in a perfect situation where you can subtract from your current roster, make yourself worse, and that actually benefits you not having Eichel for the first half of this year. Because that was one of the things, wasn't it, when we talked about potential Eichel trade, was the downside is you're not going to be as bad, right, having mm-hmm. Eichel in your lineup. No, you'll, well, be more, you'll be more entertaining, that's for sure. Well, Eichel's <laughs> yeah. hurt, so he's not going to be in your lineup for most of the year. The Ducks are a perfect Like that trade, I, I think... I'm more convinced now than I've ever been that the Ducks are going to get Eichel. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm just full of it take. today. You, you really buried the lead with your McTavish for like 20 games. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> hot take. <laughs> that is your hottest take by far. Right. Oh, no, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm just. Clickbait. Jake, yeah, the first rule of clickbait is to lead with the hot take. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. You know, I'm, I waited till we're an hour th- 30 into a podcast to, to lay out the real clickbaity quick click based stuff it's for everyone that, that's staying deep no but i i yeah. genuinely feel like the this ducks the are like i'm more convinced like it may not happen but i'm more convinced now than ever that the ducks are the the perfect match for him and, and because they're not going to get the same amount of value if they wait till next summer because of his no movement clause they're not going to the rangers just resigns abinajad they don't have the cap space to make it work the kings aren't in the wild aren't in because of cap situation the Flames don't want to subtract from their team right now to get a guy that's not going to be in their lineup for five months. The Ducks are the team that really makes the most sense for all parties. Yeah. Here's the question, though. This is always the question, right, with Eichel. And I, I can't believe we're having this conversation for what feels like the 77th time. But... You know, there's, there is new information. There is new information. Somewhat. No, but at this point in time, today, 9.26 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, October 11th, who are your untouchables in the Ducks prospect system? Because that's really what it comes down to. Zegers Drysdale. Zegers, yeah, Zegers Drysdale. Oh, sorry. That's it. Sorry, actually. Zegers Drysdale, 2022nd first round pick. Yeah, I would have the two untouchables. Or 2022. Do you yeah. think it's possible to make a trade for Eichel without including this year's first rounder? Yeah. I think I you include like, next year's I, first I rounder. I think so. You, I feel you like would if you're the Sabres, though, that would be... You have to first rounder to get Eichel. Yeah, I know, but what, do you think it's possible to make the deal without this year's first rounder? Yes. Yes, and the, and, the, and the reason being is Connor Bedard next season. Connor Bedard is shaping up to potentially be better than Shane Wright. 
Well, but here here's the way that you do it. Well, well the Ducks might they, also they... not be as bad next season. So, like, yeah. If, so, if, you're the, if you're the Sabres, I would want this year's first because this is so, a year where you know the Ducks are going to be as bad as they're going to be. Here's the thing. There's been talk of this. The Sabres completely understand, I guess, that they're going to have to do conditions on the pick in terms of games played. Mm-hmm. I would do a uh, completely in the sense of not draft position based unprotected 2023 first round pick under the uh, with a con- but the condition would be based upon Eichel's game played games played if he plays o- over half the season then it just stays a first round pick mm-hmm. and I think that's how you would do it I think that you can do it around guys and not include this year's first and I think if you're the Ducks you, you don't move this year's first because of where this team's at the fact that Eichel does not make you better this year which is a key aspect of it and you could theoretically make your team worse if you're moving out like a let's say a Max Contois let's say an Adam Henrique somehow ends up in this deal the Ducks <laughs> roster is actually getting worse by moving so, those guys out my two untouchables are Trevor Zegras and 2022 first those are my two untouchables Ooh, dry sales not part yeah. of that okay. oh yeah this has I been mean- a long-standing opinion of Felix I've been saying this for a while and I had a lengthy conversation about it in our discord over the weekend. Was it this weekend? Might've been last week. Um, Time's a flat circle. I don't see why Jamie Drysdale is untouchable. I mean, I understand that he is a great defense prospect and will probably pan out. You know, all those things are true. I just think that where the ducks ultimately want to be is Stanley cup contenders. And, Jack Eichel gets you significantly closer to that and allows you to build and have a Zegers Eichel one, two punch. And, you know, we've seen in the league elite offense is like superstar offense, you know, forwards. That's what drives championship success, right? Of course you need a solid blue line. Of course you need everything else. But at the end of the day, it's those strong link offensive superstars that really stir the pot. And I think that you shouldn't, you shouldn't walk away from a deal because you're unwilling to move off of a guy like Jamie Drysdale, who would be, you know, replaceable at the end of the day. You could go and find, you could cobble together a good blue line, even without Jamie Drysdale. You could go and sign in free agency, a great defenseman. Of course, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. But the point is Jack Eichel's don't grow on trees. Having that kind of firepower is, is rare in the NHL with an Eichel and a Zegers. And so I think if Drysdale is what it takes, and you get to keep your 2022 first, like I would run to the table to make that happen. Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm too low on Jimmy Drysdale. Maybe I'm insane, but that's just how I see the sport working these days. And I think it it makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. My so. I I feel like you're letting Jamie Drysdale's results last season influence a little bit well, too much not, of this. It's not just that, although yes, that is part of it. But even if he had been great last season, let's say that he had been great. I still just don't think that that position is as valuable as a Jack Eichel. Like, I just think fundamentally what Jack Eichel brings and at that position is just more important in the sport than what Jamie Drysdale, the fully realized Jamie Drysdale could bring. That's why and, it's and, an and, easy and I would, Here's the thing, Felix. I would agree with you if Jack Eichel was healthy in the fact that he wasn't dealing sure. with potentially sure. a procedure that has never been done on a professional athlete before. Professional hockey right? player. Right? Or hockey professional player. hockey player, right? Yeah. And so what Jack Eichel is healthy, I would agree with you. Given the the injury situation, though, 
that's where I'm gonna have to pump the brakes. But I do. Do we I blow do that? Totally do, I feel like that's that has been blown out of out of the water a bit here. Well, and like I, oh, I also, not saying by you, CJ, but just overall, I I think that they uh, there are people I see out there that think like he has no value anymore because like he has just, the injury. He's just like well, of course you know, not. broken. Yeah, like he's just totally broken. No, like this is not like yes, it, it is a a pretty big procedure, but this isn't like the risk here is not huge. Like he should come back. He should be fine. I think you put conditions on the pick to make sure of that so that it's not, you're not giving up a Connor Bedard for yeah. instance, if he's yeah. only playing half the season, but I'd be more than willing to give up Mason McTavish, Max Comtois at the thought of trying to get a Jack Eichel because of Jack Eichel at a hundred percent is a top 10 center in this league. Yeah. Mason McTavish is probably not. So, like so between the, Drysdale like, or, between Drysdale and McTavish, you would you would go McTavish in a trade. I'd be. I, I think I think McTavish has. I yeah. I would go McTavish over Drysdale in terms well, the, of giving up one. Especially especially because the Ducks, the existence of Zegris and the. Well, you're also getting a center really by in Eichel. And you're getting a center in Eichel, which you already you have a Zegris. You already have that. Like to me, the Ducks have a little bit more need to keep Drysdale around more than they do having like Eichel is fantastic, but they already do have Zegris there. If Zegris didn't exist, then I may be more inclined well, to agree you with you there McTavish, on the center side of things. If you have Eichel and Zegris and you still have McTavish, then McTavish can be one of the better third line centers in the league. And then your forward group is just, I mean, assuming that McTavish actually gets close to his potential. He's a guy who could already be, you know, who could, who projects as a top six center. So if you have him playing on your third line, I mean, your forward group is going to be really dangerous. Um, you could, you but then Zegers, you also Eichel, have a McTavish. lot of issues with your defensive group. Like, it's just kind of a pick-your-poison-situation. I think that's easier to replace. I just think it's easier. Like, look at the, look at the blue line for the Lightning. I know they have Victor Hedman. I acknowledge that. This We've, but, but we've gone like, completely off the rails, and I love it. You have Jan Ruda on your first pairing. Like, you have just guys who, frankly, Oops. aren't that good. It's it's just easier to to get by with that when you have stars up front. Anyway, you're also playing in an elite system where almost everybody's value gets pumped up a little bit. Like, did the yeah, Ducks have the, that same type of system? Because the players are great. The players make the system. Like that's ultimately. part of it, though. That's yeah. not all of it. Well, I just think, look, if it to me, if it comes down to Drysdale or Eichel, the answer is Eichel. If it, if yeah, if that's what it I came agree. down to. There are people who legitimately think Drysdale over Eichel. And I just, I think that's crazy talk. It's just, it's madness to think that. Um, it, it, I it's like it, the whole, it, I've, I've done this a bunch. It's like the whole family guy thing. The, you know, um, Eichel's and I, or, uh, um, or what is it? It's like Drysdale uh, is Drysdale, but it's um, the mystery uh, box versus the boat. It's the mystery box, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah versus like the boat. we have no idea what. Like we still don't really know what Jamie Drysdale is going to be. Could be great, but like I said, even the best version of Jamie Drysdale, I would still rather have Jack Eichel, a top ten center, I th- top twelve, whatever. I, I, I think if you're looking, so here's where I fall on this. I think overall you're right. I think you're not wrong here by saying Eichel is the better piece there. But I think if you're trying to put together a package of things, I think you can build it, and I'd be more willing to give up a lot of other things. Sure. And I think that's where this comes I, from. I understand than, it's than, than a Jamie Drysdale, and, sure. and I think that that that's the key aspect here. I don't. I would not want to give up because if you're looking at building out a roster, I don't want to give up a Zegris or a Drysdale to get Eichel. I want no. both of those guys here already 
to add Eichel too. I think you're willing to give up Mason McTavish because Eichel will fill that role that you might want McTavish to be in eventually because then Eichel's the first-line center, Zegers the second-line center. You have Lundstrom, you have those guys now. I mean, you're fine. Obviously, if you had McTavish and keep in the mix, that'd be great because he would be the third-line center there. I mean, a, a front, a top-three center or your three centers being Eichel, McTavish, Zegers would be absolutely fantastic, but you have to give to get. And, and mm-hmm. so I, yeah. I think that's why I'd be more willing to give up a McTavish, and I think that he's someone that has a high profile that could help and, and yeah. get Eichel. So, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's not crazy to – like, though, like – Looking at it from that perspective, I don't think it's crazy. Um, my own, but this is just what I think. Like this is my philosophy, um, and I think it has a logical case as well. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's now I'm like fired up about this Eichel possibility because Jake seems to think it's it's imminent. So, I I just think that the Ducks are the most likely. I, I think that I'm more yeah. confident now than I've ever been that they're getting him. Wow, wow, that would be huge. Um, okay, well, well we're. We're over an hour and a half in, and we were supposed to do a season preview, but I feel like this has basically been that. Like this, like, yeah. Like we've this has it been a, this has been a season preview. I mean, we can do a quick. I'll give you, let's see, I'll give you at least two, two hypotheticals, two hypothetical questions for a season preview. I'll start with CJ, and then we'll work our way around. Does Dallas sorry, Pickens? Sorry, folks. Based upon the based upon the time here, we're probably not going to get to questions on this show. This is going to go quickly. Does Dallas Akins finish the season as the head coach of the Ducks? Yes. Okay. No. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go... Oh, I, I don't know how I actually feel about that. I just want to disagree with CJ. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go yes as well. I think the bar has been set so low now that there's just no expectations anymore. Um, so I'm going to go yes. I think he finishes the season. Is he back next year, CJ? Is is Dallas Higgins back next year? That's the bigger question. Th- that is the bigger question. Without having seen um, the actual season that's about to happen. Because <laughs> isn't, I, I mean, we don't know for sure, but isn't it most likely, I think this is Higgins' last year on contract? It is. Because he signed a three-year contract, right? So unless it is has been an unreported extension. Yeah, and I, I find it hard to believe he would have signed an extension at this point. Um. I'm going to go with, yeah, I, I think wow. they bring him back. I'm going to say they bring him back on a one year prove it deal. I think this year we see a lot of good development from people. I think we see more fun. I think that the management staff sees what they want to out of this team. Yeah. Cause the brings the, the back are for get one more year. <laughs> that almost caused me to have a spick take. I was drinking water when you said that. Jake, Jake damn near I, lost his mind. That, that <laughs> is my hot take for the night. That is my hot take for the night. I think he's back next year. Wow. I'm not, wow. I'm not saying I agree I would venture to guess you disagree. I do disagree. Hey, my hot takes are at least like fun. The Ducks getting a fun player. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. I, I don't think that I don't think Dallas Higgins is back I, next I a, year. I have a hard time seeing it because despite the fact that the bar is so low, they're still likely gonna lose a bunch of games, and I feel like that's gonna sour everybody's uh, mouth. Now, here's the final question I have. Again, because we I don't think any of us think they're gonna make the playoffs. I mean, you, you, there's a range right where they could finish. They may be a friskier team. Felix, why do you hate the Ducks? I. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to something a little more interesting than are they going to make the team? Are they going to make the playoffs or not? Um, so is Bob Murray the GM of the team next season? CJ. No. 
Um, I I don't believe so. I've had this opinion for a while because this is the last year of Bob Murray's contract as we know it as well. Um, I think this is the final season. He sees kind of the team move on to the next phase um, and he steps into an advisor role to the new GM and he leads the search for his replacement. I think he kind of, after this season, maybe goes into a semi-retirement. Hmm. Okay. 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 Uh, okay, you didn't completely steal my answer, but you kind of did. I think he becomes president of Hockey Ops, and they make Jeff Solomon GM. Agreed. We, we've seen that a lot. We've seen that with a ton of franchises where the previous GM is, like we saw it in Vegas, right? Vegas did that. Um, a, a few others have done that. I, I agree. I think that's the route that it's going to go. I do want to point out, as the Honey Badger has pointed out in our chat, that Mark Bergevin's contract is up at the end of the season. Oh no! Don't give feel <laughs> Bergevin to Anaheim. Let's get that going. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with uh, yes. He is gone. No, he isn't back. Whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, I don't think Murray will be the GM of the team, and I think because of that, I think we see a new coach behind the bench. I think regime change after this season, because again, despite the fact that the bar is low despite the fact that all they really have to do to deem the season a success is that the kids get better, which they probably will just by function of being young, upcoming, you know, uh, up and coming NHL players. That's, that's kind of what happens at this stage of their respective careers. Early twenties is you, you get better for a few seasons before you start plateauing. Even despite all of that, they're going to lose a bunch of games. There's probably going to be some ugly moments. Like I don't mean to be like a doom and gloom. It's just, we've seen this show before the last three years and I think that that's just going to solidify it, that they need a regime change. And will it be Jeff Solomon? I think he's the front runner right now. If I had to put a little money on it, I would guess Solomon. And I think that they'll want a new coaching staff as well. Will it be Joel Bouchard? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think that that's, I think that that, it, I, think, I, I think a lot of Ducks fans would agree that this season is a win if it brings about a new GM. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah. So anything or, else, or we want to just, or everyone gets re every all the UFAs get resigned. Murray Aikens extended. <laughs> that's not impossible. That, that's, that's one. Of, that is actually one thing about the the extensions that I hadn't fully thought about. Mm-hmm. Is do the Ducks want to open their purse strings? It seems like they're not letting for a coach. No, 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 no. 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 To extend to extend Manson oh. or Cal Lindholm. Yeah, I, it doesn't <sighs> appear to be that way. I don't think so. No. And I, I think, think that may factor into it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're almost two hours in, an hour 42, giving the people as much content as possible before the season opener. Do you want to do questions at all? I'm leaving this up to you. <laughs> Why not? A brief flirtation. A quick round. Let's, all right. Let's take, like, let's take like two or three. Two or three. All right, people, throw in your questions in the Twitch chat while I give the spiel. So for those of you watching on YouTube, yes, you can find us at YouTube.com slash Crash Spawn. Please like, subscribe to the videos there. It does help significantly. Comment there. I do read the comments, as Felix says. I will respond to them also. I saw... I'm spacing on the name. I'm so sorry. But someone asked on the comments actually uh, last week, wondering where our episode was last week. So I'd tell them we actually took the week off. Because, you know, I guess we're slackers like that. Right, Felix? Um... (laughs) 
that look uh or on your favorite podcast services we do this each and every week at 8 p.m on monday nights now uh, and you can find us at twitch.tv slash crash pond if you have amazon prime you get one free twitch prime sub each and every month and it does uh expire after 30 days you do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days why have i gone into like my like like uh as if i'm like the host of like thunder mountain or something like that voice but regardless throw in your questions in the chat yeah 100 um all right here we go we i have a lot of questions um hey yo dflow asks can you show kevin shattenkurt's j fresh card give me one sec while i do that uh shadow ops gaming says question caulfield 40 goals or zegra 70 points what's more likely to happen Ooh, Ooh, that's a good one I'm going to say that's a really good one. I don't think either is that likely to be honest. I think Caulfield 40 is slightly likelier. Again, I'm going to get I'm going to get the biased comments. I can already hear them. But I mean cuz cuz you are. I think Caulfield Felix, 40 if it helps, I agree with you. I think it's likelier by function of Zegers 70 points feeling very very unlikely. Like I think Zegers can hit 60, but his the the offensive environment he's going to be in versus the one Caulfield is going to be in with Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli. I think it's just I'm going to have to go Caulfield here. For for me, it's the environment. Montreal is going to have a much better offensive course. Caulfield's going to Caulfield will have more opportunity to score goals than Zegers will have the opportunity to put up points. I it's it's entirely a product of the environment. But I don't think either happens. For the record, all right. Here's here's yeah. Real quick, the 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 screen is now up. Ignore our faces that are completely cut off. You can now see Kevin Shattenkirk's uh, player card. 68th percentile of war, 79th percentile even strength defensive war, 51st percentile even strength offensive war. Um, so there you go, folks. I'm now going to post back so you don't have to see our completely yeah, lo- clipped off that. faces. Um, all right. So let's go to this question. Louis X209, favorite Chick-fil-A sauce? No sauce. No sauce is, is the answer here. Wow. You I've guys never, missed the discussion in Discord earlier. I've never had Chick-fil-A sauce when I've gone to Chick-fil-A. I, Chick- I, do, I do not eat at Chick-fil-A anymore um, due wow. to the whole, you know, due to their social um, uh, stances. And I think that's been well documented. I won't get into it here. But when I did eat at Chick-fil-A, I was a big Buffalo sauce fan. I'm, I'm just a big Buffalo sauce fan in general. Here's actually the goat sauce, the goated sauce. Chick-fil-A sauce with Buffalo sauce mixed. There you go. That's You're welcome. Try it. The best that sauce is, is no sauce. Try right it. That, right uh, just a rush guy says, did Sketsloff play back to backs? Yeah. That was a thing at the end of last year. Remember? Yeah. And the last year was tank season. That was full tank. Okay. Getzloff I, on the I, fourth line on the wing. I mean, you, you hope that that's what that was. Yeah. I think he plays back to backs. Okay. All right. I guess, I guess uh, giants are still up one zero. So, B1 Samdi said, what is the biggest trade Bob Murray makes this season prior to the 2022 draft? I mean, do I, like, I'm just going like, to go. Like, he, like he, gets Jack, to he, gets Jack, he gets just, no, just before it happens. He gets Jack Eichel. Yeah, I agree with that. You've talked me into it. Jamie Agreed. Drysdale will not be in the package, though. I can guarantee you that. They're not yep, trading. He will not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Jux Dragonaut, uh, our good friend Eric Stites says, what possible world could exist where the du- the Ducks actually see themselves in the playoff race and or playoff spot at the deadline? And if so, what do they do? I mean, it's it's the tried and true. Well, not tried and true. <laughs> That's the wrong analogy. It's the it's the old the old saying of kids playing well, Gibson playing great, and veterans bouncing back. 
the old saying that we've trumpeted on this show for three for two to three years running of, of, we, we convinced uh, ourselves that they would be in the playoff mix the last couple seasons yeah, yeah we, of, we bought of, in this is the learning for our mistakes i will say oh my i will say oh me oh my that this season you could make maybe more of a case for it than in the past because trevor's egress is very oh. very good troy terry is showing improvement um Max troy terry is also very good and he I is think very Raquel good is just some positive regression. John Gibson, I don't think, can get any worse. Um, if there's some health on the blue line, like, sure, that's where it happens. So I, I don't think it's impossible, but am I, am I betting on it? Uh, no chance. <laughs> All right. Let's end with this one. Uh, Extra Time FC says, what draft pick do the Ducks end up with at the end of this season? Not the Shane one. Shane Wright, baby, number one overall. Let's go. Number one. Let's go out on – I'm going out on a high. Ending this podcast on a high note. They first overall. <laughs> I do want to point out Giants 1-0 win. Take a lead in the series. Should be noted. Making all, it interesting. I'm just the- waiting. I, I, I'm just sitting here uh, waiting for the Giants to come back to earth, I said, as I sit in my grave 60 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that all season. They're going to come back to earth, and they never no, did. They so. have the talent. They have the belief. It's an even year. it's it's definitely not um (laughs) even your bullshit is back okay uh oh uh yeah there was a question about do the ducks are they spending more on marketing i think they just oh yeah i saw sorry just they just hired someone new for their social media i don't know but it's Um, i mean uh, uh, no the guy who's doing social the guy who's doing the social media um they actually hired last season and i think he took over um with their new media department he's pulling double duty with social and the digital content to replace Kyle Shahara, who left for the Dallas Stars. Um, I personally think, and this is coming from the guy, because I work in marketing, for those of you who don't know, my day job is in marketing. Um, I personally think, number one, it's who they hired and that they've given them a lot more free reign. But number two, I think that, I genuinely think they listened to fans over the off season and last season, yeah, because there was a lot like. of discussion, partially mm-hmm. um, sparked by us, um, uh, where basically a ton of people were just like the Ducks marketing social media is just not good. I think that they it's mostly that they've completely reevaluated their strategy and that they're giving them a little bit more freedom. So we'll see how that goes. But I do agree. I think they've been a lot better to start the season, which is great to see. Yeah. And like the behind the scenes stuff from the draft. And yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's yeah. going to be a, I think they're under St. Archer beer. Yeah. There's a Ducks beer. You know, I will. Brewery I have... X. Brewery X beer. Well, well no, Saint Archer. Saint, Saint Archer, Archer came out with that Mighty Ducks IPA. Yes, but but I so Saint Saint Archer came out with that, but Brewery X just announced they Bre- just announced a partnership with them to develop Ducks beers and um and, oh, okay. and yeah. they're going to take they've over got the, the Quack IPA right for the like beer garden and whatnot. Yep, you're, they've you're, got the Quack IPA. They got a, a banner on the uh, on the boards in front of the Ducks bench, but Saint Archer has the Mighty Ducks logo on an actual beer. Here's my quibble with that quibble. Yes, with beer. Um, this can Uh-oh. has no eggplant, no eggplant color. It's just, it's just the jade. So and- we need to grow up, Felix, from our Disney past. We need to <laughs> no, leave it fine. behind. I, Orange. I just did. I think that they could have worked that in. Also, another quibble is that they. It says, and I wish it said Mighty Ducks. You know, the Anaheim. That's Ducks, a good point. That is, that is a better quibble. The, the Anaheim Ducks underneath the Mighty Ducks logo just looks 
incorrect. Yeah, that is a little weird branding-wise. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know why they don't do that anymore, but I just think it would look better. But it's still a cool can. Like, I, I would... I would drink out of that and feel feel cool, feel good about it. <laughs> okay. I think I'm very glad the, the type of beer Jake, you're drinking is making you feel cool, Felix. Jake is just dying to get out of here. <laughs> no, I'm actually looking up pictures of the Mighty Ducks jersey because I was trying to figure out how much actual eggplant was on the white Mighty Ducks jersey, and it's not that much. The collar? It's the, the collar and one stripe. It's not a lot. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I was wrong. So, yeah, so it's not as if if it's trying to look like the white Mighty Ducks jersey, it's not that off if it's doesn't have that much any eggplant on it. You better hope that that's what it's trying to be because otherwise God. massive oversight. Um okay. <laughs> massive massive oversight. Devastating. I'm, I'm losing it. I'm just I'm just saying. Hour 51 in. Yeah. Let's wrap I mean, this up. Let's wrap this I'm, up. There's just so much so many sports going on right now. Football, baseball, hockey's back it's just it's too much my brain is scrambled um all right everybody well hopefully if you have made it this far if you have made it this far first off thank you i'm impressed that is quite the commitment i think we tried to give you as much as we possibly could to kick off the season it only feels right we got to give the people what they want and i think i think we did just that maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe i'm i'm totally biased here but i believe that we accomplished that goal so if you enjoyed what you heard today if you enjoy our show what we do here you want to see it keep going you want to see it grow during the season a few different ways to do that number one our patreon page patreon.com slash crash the pond three different tiers of support there three different monthly pledges for one dollar a month you get access to our patrons only discord chat which is a ton of fun you get to connect with other diehard ducks fans a lot of fun conversations. Sometimes it will be hockey related. Sometimes it will not be. We have different channels. There's general chat. There's hockey talk. Those are the two that I stick to for the most part. They're, they're, you don't venture other... into the wrestling talk? I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't go into wrestling talk. Uh, but hey, if you're a wrestling fan, there you go. Um, yeah. So it, it all works it's, out. It's a great time. It's me. It's me, Lewis, and Hey Yo Flow just having a good time in there. <laughs> The few, the proud. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's for one dollar a month. For five dollars a month, you get all that that we just mentioned. You also get access to two bonus episodes, and so those are episodes where, like for example, the most recent one we did, we did our uh, division predictions. So for for the standings in each division in the NHL. Um, so we'll go a little more league wide on those. So if you want to hear our opinions about other teams, we'll also sometimes go more in depth on the actual Ducks if there's a specific topic that we think deserves some more time. Or we'll just go completely crazy and talk about something totally unrelated. So if you enjoy the banter of this show, kind of the more uh, unscripted stuff, I think you'll enjoy the bonus episodes. And then for $15 a month, you get access to, again, everything I just mentioned. You also get access to two watch-alongs a month that we do. And these are a ton of fun. Um, Basically, during two Ducks games a month during the season, we do a broadcast where as the game is going on, we're doing a video feed and we're essentially commentating on the game yes commentate is a word look it up um there you go bonnie there's been opposition to that in the past so i have to make it clear um and yeah so if you if you want something a little different if you just want to hear our live breakdown as the game is happening well there you go that's for 15 dollars a month you can find all of that at patreon.com slash pond i i want to point out that we have a for the watch long tiers we will be doing one, and I'm trying to look it up. We will be doing one for Wednesday's game. Yep. 
um, against the Winnipeg Jets. So for those of you that are at the watch along tier, expect that one to be the uh, the first one, and the second one will be, I believe, it is Tuesday's October Tuesday October nineteenth versus the Edmonton Oilers at six p.m. So those are the two games for the watch long tier for this month. Yep, I so, will be at the game, so you guys have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, the watch alongs are. Does, does, are it, does it need to become my tie Wednesday? Seeing as it's not my tie Monday because I didn't get my test. Yeah, you've you've already you, you've given me so much crap in the past for. for I didn't have time to get my ties. I almost stopped by Bevmo on my way home to get it. Almost. Now I want a mai tai. Thanks for tempting me. Cut water mai tais are delicious. Everyone go have one. You'll understand not why it always needs to be mai tai Monday. Not yet. Um, but not yet. Not anyway. Yet. If you don't, if you if you're not able to support us uh, with the monthly pledge on Patreon, that's totally understandable. There's still some ways with no financial cost to do so. You can look us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Those go a long way. And we actually have a new one, new review, and like as we usually promise. If you leave us a review, we will read it on the show. So here we go. This one is from Chase Smythe. Uh, left us that. Uh, we actually would have read it last week if we had done a show. So thanks for being patient, Chase. The title, Best Ducks Podcast, Five Stars, Felix and Jake, and sometimes CJ talk all things Ducks along with some news from around the league, sometimes even using analytics. Sometimes, I think always, sometimes even using analytics to prove that Grant is an elite number one center. Yeah, that's de- <laughs> that's definitely what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, um, sometimes definitely I'm sometimes on that. I, I feel like I just got conned into saying that. Um, and that Cody Curran, <laughs> or as Jake would say, Cody Curran, uh, is the perfect power play quarterback with that big booming shot from the blue line. Sincerely, I really do look forward to every podcast every week. Thank you guys so much for the show. For this show, thank you, Chase. Awesome review. Love love the. Love when people work in the inside jokes into the the reviews. That's that's what always gets me. So thank you for yep. that. So yep. is, an wait, is it not Cor- is it not Koran? It's Curran. Like it's is it's it ne- is it Curran? Yes. It it one thousand percent is Curran. Um, I mean, okay, you, I'll, I'll I'll do that from now. <laughs> uh, all I'm this. hearing now is that we need official media guide pronunciations they, for this the show. Common, that's all I'm saying. The Ducks Ducks. broadcast said Curran. <laughs> Like this isn't anything new. They also but say the pronunciation Aikens. guides are very helpful. <laughs> yeah, and Akins is correct until until proven otherwise. <laughs> I just don't buy. I think I think Akins faked his own last name to help his charity. <laughs> which hey, you know what? Good for him. I, Great I way to end that. the show. Um. Anyway, uh, so that's one way you can do it. Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on Spotify. Um. Or subscribe to. Well, in addition to all that, you can also. Subscribe to us on YouTube, which Jake already talked about at youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, subscribe there, turn on your notifications. You get to see our live video feed from Twitch. You'll get to see some of the graphs that Jake will put up, different things. You get to see Salem the Black Cat and Jake's background pop up every now and again, or a lot. Depending yeah, on she the was day. here for most of this one before she went crazy. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, I think that that's everything. Check out our website, crashthepond.com. Um, we've got, we're going to have articles coming up. Yeah. We'll uh, start getting more stuff up as the season begins. Sorry folks for a little bit of a dead period. There's been a lot going on for all of us. And then, uh, check us out on social media at crash the pond. Jake is on Twitter at reindeer games. 91 CJ's on there at CJ Woodling. Is it CJ Woodling? Yep. There's no underscore. Got it. No, no one, nope. no one else says it on the up. screen, S- says it on the screen. No. <laughs> oh, you actually put my handle up. 
it's no been one, there the whole time. No one, no one <laughs> wants to do the the underscore life like me. Anyway, uh, at Felix underscore <laughs> card on Twitter, and that will do it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Happy season, everybody. Then the next time that we talk to you, we'll have had regular season games to watch to break down. It's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy the ride. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh my god, dude.